Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, September 25, 843-661093. is our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Rev. Good morning. What did you do over the weekend, Rev? I understand that we had a big day yesterday yes. with community broadcasters and the bridal showcase. What, what is it called? Bridal showcase. Yep. Absolutely. And um big day in Florence at the Florence Center. A, a lot of the uh the community broadcasters employees on hand. Um I was not invited. <laughs> I was excluded from those affairs as I normally am. Um anything extracurricular I am not involved in. I am never asked to be involved in. I'm not offended. My feelings aren't hurt. Uh, when they come anyway, but uh, <laughs> that's kind of what we figured. I think. But, but did it? Was it a roaring success? Oh, it was great. Yeah, we had uh, brides and mothers of the brides and mothers of the grooms and some grooms and a lot of vendors and it was a big time. And so you had a you had a uh, action packed weekend. I did. Right? I, I feel like you I, were with me all day Saturday. Yeah, I, I feel like I haven't Saturday. stopped moving since basically at all. Okay. Since last, since probably a week ago Sunday, so I sat still for a few minutes. So you tailgated, you graced us with your company. Mm-hmm. Um, nice tailgated that. with us Saturday Thank you for the afternoon. Invite. Yeah, Appreciate you're, it. you're always welcome and always uh, invited. So, what did you make of the game? Um, I mean, the tailgate was the typical tailgate um, at a pellet grill. They wouldn't let me cook on the pellet grill <laughs> because they have. Um, some someone said, "Why can't you cook on a?" Let's do this. You got a gas grill, you can cook. You got a charcoal grill, you can't, and you got a pellet grill, and um, the officials at the University of South Carolina have decided the pellet grill is closer to the charcoal grill than the gas grill, Mm -hmm. and I'm confused. The pellets are in a separate hopper. The auger uh, kind of um, puts the pellets in the, you know, where the fire is. Anyway, it's a story for another day. We're going to work on getting that changed. <laughs> I'm sure you we're, are. We're going to work on seeing if we can um, request of the powers to be at USC. Yeah, because you had a plan. I mean, and you, you had told me what you planned to cook on your grill for your tailgate. Well, I had a buddy of mine build me a contraption. Mm-hmm. Um, cool, too. And you saw the contraption. Very cool. It's uh, it's kind of articulating. You um, you fold it up, and you do this, and you do that, and you got to, you know, everything's in the way, and then it's out of the way. And um, uh, got scolded by a bureaucrat from the University of South Carolina. Um, they make it hard for me to pull for them. I mean, they just, they, they really and truly Because do. of the grill? Well, really? It's, it's not just that. It's just the University of South Carolina has this perception of itself that is inconsistent with what it really is. It is a Southern flagship university. It should be one of the most conservative Southern flagship universities in America, and it's simply not. I'm sorry, it's not. And um, as a fan and a Southern conservative, I'd like to see my flagship university and, and my favorite team reflect the values and views of the majority of its citizenry. And it does not do that. Now, is it about pellet grills or not? No, it's not just the pellet grill. But USC has become uh, uh, more, more woke and, and liberated than I'd like to see a Southern flagship, uh, especially being a member of this institution, of the Southeastern Conference, who cares about academics? <laughs> are, you any, are you any good in football? That's what it's. Uh, that's what it's all about. I got an interesting statistic, um, and I'll start with Clemson because we always touch on football on Monday mornings during the football season. Um, I thought Clemson outplayed Florida State. I traveled in the first half, got set up for the second half. I listened on the radio, and it sounded to me like Clemson outplayed Florida State. It sounded to me like there were two similarly talented teams. 
There is no doubt that Florida State is better than they were three, four, five years ago. Transfer portal, NIL, um, you know, and just being a historically good football team. Um, But Clemson just looked to me like couldn't catch a break. And I wonder if this is kind of the football gods equaling things out over the long run. You know, you you, you go a period of time and you think you're really, really good because you are. But you also catch some breaks. It seems like things kind of just go your way when you need them to go your way. And then you have a period of time where they just don't. And, you know, the question I'd ask this morning of our Clemson faithful, I mean, I think I know the answer to this. I think they still have pretty close to elite talent everywhere but quarterback. I mean, I think the, the kid can play quarterback, but he's not the generational kind of guy that they've had, you know, in days gone by where they made a, uh, the run. Somebody, a good Clemson fan, sent me this uh, yesterday as a text, and I think it's kind of interesting. We have had 58 college football games since the portal became a reality. Stick with me for a second. 58 college football games since the portal became a reality. Now, you can say, yeah, but early on, people didn't know how to use it, and then they did. Okay, I, I get all that. But for argument's sake, there have been 58 college football games played since the transfer portal was a part of the model. That is college football today. Since the portal, Clemson's 47-11. and 11. In the 58 games prior to the portal, they're 55-3. and three. Hmm. Well, Coach Sweeney's opinion on the portal and NIL is you, pretty well, well known. I mean, you make of that what you choose to make of right. that. You know, I mean, that, that person just right. was telling me. I mean, Dabo didn't embrace the portal. He didn't embrace NIL. In fact, I think he said, if I got to do this, I'll retire. And then he realized, well, I ain't retiring. So I'll, <laughs> I'll kind of back up from it some of those really comments. Mean, that. But, but, you mean, know. Uh, imagine, you know, a, a, a competitive man saying something that he regrets. And he wish he hadn't said, good Lord, I do that a hundred times every day. I just thought that was an interesting number. And this is not a number I dug around and found. This is a Clemson fan and good friend of mine who sent me that, said, I don't know what to make of that. You know, I, I don't know if it's all about transfer portal, NIL. Um, I, I do know this. There was a pretty there was a pretty good distance between Florida State and Clemson three years ago. There's not today. I mean, I don't think Florida State's better than Clemson, but I don't think Clemson's better than Florida State. I mean, they, they, they're, they're similar in talent. Um, I think Clemson outplayed Florida State Saturday and should have won the football game. I don't like saying that, but but I do. I mean, I think Clemson outplayed Florida State and should have won the game, but they didn't. And and when you start digging around and trying to figure out, okay, how did Florida State catch Clemson? I think it's an IL transfer portal. I mean, Clemson's still recruiting well. But they may not be recruiting quite as well at quarterback as they did, but good land. I mean, that, we talked about the two generational talented players they've had. I just thought that was an interesting statistic that a good Clemson friend sent mine or sent me 58 games since the portal. They're 47 and 11 in the 58 games prior to the quarter or prior to the portal. They were 55 and three. That's a big difference. I mean, that that's a huge difference. And if I were Clemson, we'll get into this uh, Friday with Jason Priester. I'd be careful this, this Saturday going to Syracuse, Syracuse, kind of a funky place to play. They've never played exceptionally well in Syracuse. Syracuse has good enough players to give Clemson a problem. And, you know, you make a heavy investment in Florida State at home, uh, a nationally televised game, you outplayed them. I mean, you honestly outplayed Florida State and should have won the game, but you didn't. And that seems to me 
kind of um the prime uh, there's a prime reference uh, for for a letdown. I don't know if it'll happen or not. We'll find out, you know, the case. But uh, but anyway, and then go to Columbia, and it, it's you know I I said it Friday. I think I don't remember as a Gamecock fan having this many toss up games in a row, and by that I mean games that could go either way. I mean any game could go either way, but you know most of these games it's. It's it's it wouldn't be unexpected if Mississippi State had beaten South Carolina. I mean that wouldn't be out, way out of the norm. I mean it would have been way out of the norm if South Carolina beat Georgia. I mean that would have been out of the norm. It wouldn't be real out of the norm if South Carolina beats Tennessee. But it wouldn't be out of the norm if Tennessee beat South Carolina. So there's the kind of the toss-up game reference and I don't know as a Gamecock fan that I've ever seen my favorite team play this many consecutive toss-up games and you can't lose them at home. I mean, you just can't. When you're trying to build something and you're trying to get better week by week and develop players and get to a place where you do believe you can compete with Clemson and, and Georgia, not not just on you know one of these rare Saturdays, but Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. And um, I mean, they took care of business. Uh, Mississippi State did some things to the Gamecocks that concerned me. Um, the safety play was horrible. And that's two of the better players on the team. Uh, Nick Iliawambe or whatever you say, anyway, Inamawari, uh, I think is his last name, and D.Q. Smith are two of the better players on the team, and they sucked. I mean, they stunk it up big time. Um, and number five for, for Mississippi no, State, he, he, about 250 yards <laughs> wow. in receiving, yeah. and it was, um, I mean, they sold out to the run. Uh, you know, the, um, the defense coordinator convinced himself and the Gamecock safeties that we got to stop the run, and they bit hard on play action. And, um, you know, our corners just aren't good enough to play without help. And they didn't get a help over the top. And, I mean, they just smoked the Gamecocks for about 500 and something yards in total offense. But, um, you know, uh, the, the kid number 17 has developed into a real good player. And um, and Rattler is, yeah, a, is a good college quarterback. Yeah, Xavier Leggett. He's and awesome. Rattler, yeah, and Rattler's a good quarterback. Oh, I mean, he's, he's probably uh, as good an arm talent as South Carolina has had. Yeah, but I mean, he's as good an arm talent as South Carolina has, has had in a long, long time. So the Gamecocks are not elite by any stretch of the imagination, but they're competitive. Uh, they seem to be playing hard. A lot of young kids getting a little bit better week by week by week. Um, quite the test in Knoxville this weekend. Uh, you know Knoxville. Well, I mean, Tennessee has this one circled on you, their calendar. you got to believe because of what happened last year. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee was set up to make the playoffs. I mean, they really and truly were and ran into a hornet's nest. In williams Bryce Stadium, one of those crazy Saturdays that you just can't. And that really, was so fun. I mean, you just really can't <laughs> explain when one of those things um, happened, but the Gamecocks have to load up and go to Rocky Top. And um, and as you said, I'm sure the Tennessee team and fan base have circled this one on the calendar, saying them chickens screwed us up last year. We're going to screw them up this year. So, um, But it's still a, I think, 10 or 11-point spread, so it's not out of the realm. I mean, it's not one of these 27-point spreads. Uh, that the Gamecocks played in Georgia. And if I were a Clemson fan, we'll get to that Friday, um, I'd be a little nervous about this Saturday. Um, early in the season, and you're out of the running for a playoff spot. I mean, you just are. I mean, two losses, uh, you're just out of the running for a playoff spot. So what do they play for? I mean, they're playing for what 90% of the teams in college football play for. You know, a decent bowl game, trying to uh, win every game you possibly you possibly can. But I just worry about a hangover or a, or a letdown after 
really and truly outplaying uh, a team ranked in the top five or six at home and should have won um, the game. So, you know, that's kind of my recap on both on both Saturdays. Well, see, you started talking about, you know, your experience and the things that were wrong, you know, your pellet grill situation or whatever. Um, I I think the, the people at South Carolina, uh, we've invested in the last few years in a parking place and in season tickets, and we enjoy it. You know, both, both my sons graduated from there. Um, I have to hand it because they really have kicked it up a notch. I'm Listen to about this, Josh. The, Listen to this. The game day experience has gone from, you know, loud music and fun, flashing lights. Excellent experience to, I mean, just over the top. I, I just can't say enough loud, about it. Loud music and flashing lights. That's part of it. That's a big part of it. Okay. Yes. Fair the enough. lights, the LED lights, the music. What kind the, of lights? The pageantry, the LEDs. Okay. Yeah, I can change colors, turn them off and mm-hmm. on. Old lights, you couldn't turn them off because it took them 20 minutes to come back on. Mm-hmm. That's not the case anymore. And, and you remember years ago when I went to a, I, I would have much rather invested in linebackers. Or safeties. Yeah, there you I, go. I get it. I get it. Let let let's um let's let the light stay on of the same, and have linebackers that are really really good. Yep. Instead of having safeties that look like they don't belong in the SEC, but those damn lights and music. <laughs> I can tell you what, it was like a rock. It's like but, a Rolling Stone all. concert meets Star Wars. Well, and you remember a few <laughs> years ago before they put in the new lights and the ribbon scoreboards. You know, I went to I went to a Panthers game, and I said that experience was just so. So large, I guess. And so it's, would you it's a lot have, more would, like it. Uh, I'll be able to stick with me now. Okay. So would you rather have lights that suck and music that sucks and win games or lights and music off the charts where you feel like you're at 2001 in North Myrtle Beach, but the team sucks? Um, that's all. I want it both. I want the well, lights. Of course you do. I want the music and I want the players and I want the team to win. Okay. <laughs> is, that, is that asking too no, much? No, not at all. <laughs> um so Rev and I parked pretty close to one another. But they deserve credit. The, the, the everyone who's been involved in 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 improving that game day experience, I give them top notch credit. And I just don't get as I'm not as interested mm-hmm. in that. I mean, I, yeah, I, I certainly understand that you are. I'm just not it's as fun. interested. It's fun. In, in that as you are. So Rev, Josh, Rev comes out of the stadium, and his family's like, "Where's Ken?" <laughs> and Rev said, <laughs> oh, "Oh, he's home. He's already home." <laughs> I know he is. Yeah. And was I right? Yeah, you were. You were. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I've been going a long time, but I just, when it gets late, I look at my watch, I'm going home. I yeah. don't care what the yeah, score we, is. We swung <laughs> by uh, Ken's parking place uh, after the game and it was empty. I mean, it was like, you know, there were tumbleweeds going yeah. across the, the parking place. I was watching Southern Cal and Arizona State <laughs> probably in my, in my recliner. Eight, and, four, and we three. rolled in about one thirty in the morning. Yeah, no, no, one thirty. I was. Taking my second wheels of the morning. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's take our first break. Got a call. We'll get to our call uh, as soon as we get back. Just wanted to kind of um, recap the big college football weekend. Um, and then we'll touch on Friday in our decompression hour, the Saturday to come. Back in a few. And I want to be crystal clear. I'm not sad that Clemson blew it. <laughs> So thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> but, but believing they should have won and, and and sorry they didn't, those are two different things. <laughs> I believe they should have won. I ain't sorry they didn't by, by any stretch of the imagination. And and the people with the satellites have a, you know, they don't have the uh what am I trying the uh what what's the what's the word here, Rev? They don't have the um the delay from oh, those who are streaming. Right. In other words, the satellite they that, bring a dish to their tailgate. Yeah, they, they, so they bring a dish the, to the tailgate, yeah. and they get the um, 
you get the reaction from them before you get the reaction from the streamers. And when Clemson didn't make it on fourth down, you heard a big eruption <laughs> at, at the tailgates with the satellites. And, and then a few seconds later. And then, then a few seconds later, you hear the eruption is. from the streamers. <laughs> but but let me say this in all honesty. Let's be candid. We talked a little bit about this Friday. Nobody was crying crocodile tears at Gamecock Park, uh, whether you're streaming or, or on satellite. And that's just the nature of an in-state rivalry. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Verd Oda, Marlboro County. Good morning, Verd. Good morning, Ken. Uh, headed to Charleston to uh, see the next president of the United States, President Donald J. Trump, for an event down at Sportsman Boats. Uh, polls are 40 to 50 points now. Moving up looks like every single day just about. And President Trump, he's pretty much uh, the last event. Uh, he mentioned Ron DeSantos twice. He mentioned uh, Joe Biden 68 times. So I think we see what the game plan is now. We're looking ahead to the general election. Uh, not saying that uh, we're not going to have primary elections, but uh, it seems that the uh, focus now is going to be on Joe Biden and what he's done to the country in the last three and a half, well, last three years, really. And uh, I think that's uh, that's where the that's where the campaign's headed. You know, go after Biden. He's the he's what's done the damage to the American people, and uh, he's who President Trump's going to have to beat probably. Bird, when do you expect the field to to kind of thin? I mean, after this next debate, I mean, do you expect a uh, a candidate two or three to drop out of the primary. I would expect after the next debate, somebody that does very poor, uh, no matter looking at the numbers, one of them, two of them, three of them, I would expect them to probably drop out because the money's going to dry up and uh, you can't run these campaigns. Of course, Ken, you were in a, a statewide campaign, so very, very expensive to run campaigns. And then a national thing is just uh, mind-boggling. Uh, when I worked in Pickens uh, for the campaign, we – it, it, it amazed me what it takes to put on just one of those huge rallies and stuff. But anyway, no, I think there may be one to maybe three drop out after the next debate. Uh, and, you know, I think, like, I'm, I agree with you. I think after the first two, uh, uh, the Nevada caucuses, I mean, excuse me, the uh, Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary, I think it will thin drastically after that. Because if you don't, if Trump wins going away, then everybody's pretty much eliminated. Bird, what do you make of Chris Christie? I mean, he seems to be the chief Trump antagonist, and the media loves him for that. What, what, do, what do the Republican primary voter today, I mean, I see he's at 3% in the polls, so he's not making much of an impact, but the media gives him plenty of airtime because, once again, he's the Republican in the primary that seems to antagonize Trump more than anybody. Well, the media's giving him uh, uh, focus because he's a, a, a mouthpiece for the Democrat Party, and they they support the Democrat Party. So naturally, anybody that antagonizes President Trump in the campaign, he's going to get all the air from uh, the media outlets and stuff. But you know, I, I don't talk of heard, haven't heard of anyone that's going to vote for him. Uh, he's he's an antagonist, and uh, I think that uh, people don't see him for being any any type of a leader at all. And I just don't. Uh, I just don't think. Uh, and there's nothing we can really do about the media. They they gonna give anybody focus that uh, goes after Trump. And uh, I don't think they're doing a very good job right now. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't doubt that before time goes on, I believe some of the media will come over to Trump's side. Thank you, Bird. Appreciate it. Safe travels. Um, the, I guess the big news over the weekend, other than um, the Gamecocks and Tigers football games, the big news over the weekend. <laughs> Nationally would have been the ABC News Washington Post poll. Rev came in this morning 
And after we talked about the bridal uh, event, we started talking about the poll. I mean, th- th- Trump's not 10 points ahead. I mean, he's not 19 points ahead. But there are correlations here. Biden is 19 points underwater. I mean, that's a big number, guys. I don't know how you get out of that. Now, you can look at this. Is this um, uh, is this a five-bell alarm? Yes. Is the alarm to convince the Democrats now's the time to do something different? Uh, you know, uh, remember David Ignatius last week kind of gave some of the insiders permission. I mean, Ignatius is kind of a, uh, I don't want to say an institution, but but he's an institutionalist within the media institution that covers Washington. And Ignatius writes about things that some of the uh, some of the underlings believe that Ignatius, if Ignatius says it's okay to question whether Biden should be the nominee, then it's okay for me to do it. I mean, in other words, I've got a show on MSNBC. I've got a show on CNN. Um, I'm not going to say that because the um, you know the 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 old hands, the guys that really run uh, this bubble, have not granted me permission to do that. Ignatius coming out the way he did, as forcefully as he did, kind of gave the others permission to begin questioning whether Biden should be the nominee or not. I've said for three weeks, and I stand solidly by the comment, and if it changes, I'll say it changes. If the election were any day in the last three weeks, Donald Trump's president. I mean, I'm convinced of that. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. Now, do I believe Donald Trump's nine points ahead? No. No. you'd You'd be proud of me. Because when I saw the poll results, I said, okay, what's the chess move here? You know, is this, because it's an ABC poll, and is there, are, are these, what's, what's starting to move on the Democrat side? Like, if they truly do believe or they want to convince some of their voters and supporters that Biden could possibly lose to Trump, you know, that would have to be all hands on deck for Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. They, they don't want Trump to win under any circumstance. So what would their chess move be to either have a poll come out and say he's 10 points up like this in a, in a Democrat credible poll, ABC, right? I say Democrat, but you know what I'm saying. Sure. Um, what would be their chess move and, and wanting to have that out there and promote it? So what do you think it is? I think it's exactly that. It's, it's like, okay, guys, you know, we need to come up with another plan because if we stick with this plan, we're, we're going to lose. Okay, but what's the other plan? Gavin Newsom. Okay, I mean, I think you're onto something there. I think you, you're you're playing chess a little bit here now. But but here's the, the 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 dilemma is, and we talked about this, guys. The most dependable voter the Democrats have ever had in their history is the African American female. You've got an African American female vice president who is least popular than 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 the president. So how do you leapfrog him? There is no doubt that Gavin Newsom creates contrast. Young, energetic, charismatic, Trump 77-ish, kind of a, um, you know, older guy, um, a a little bit old-fashioned, not as, well, I mean, I don't want to say, Trump's charismatic in his own crazy way. I mean, it's almost like he has a personal um, charisma that is different than what have we historically perceived as politically charismatic. Um, But but when you dig into this poll, and, and there's some interesting data points in this poll. Um, they did not include, the most interesting part of this, nobody questioned Trump's problems and Biden's problems. I mean, as part of the poll, the survey, nobody said, hey, does Trump and all of his legal problems affect your vote? 
Nobody said, hey, just buy to the connection, potential connection, Hunter Biden. But I found that interesting and odd. The other thing I found odd about this is the sample. It's 25 Republican, 25 Democrat. That's an oversampling of Republicans. I mean, it should have been 25 Republican, 27 or 8 Democrat. That moves the number a little bit. But it was 42% independents. That's a big mm. number of independents in a sample. I, I, it's normally, I mean, it, I, I'll, I'll let Kahaley's secret out of the, I mean, when, when Robert polls general elections nationally, it's normally uh, 34-ish Republican, 37-ish, maybe 38 um, Democrat, and then the ballots being independents and unaffiliates. Um, you know, I've always wondered, what is the difference in an independent and unaffiliate? Nobody's ever been able to tell me that. Uh, but but there, you know, the, the, the ballots would be the other 40, uh, the other 35% would be, you know, independents and unaffiliates. This has no unaffiliate. This is 25-25. That's an oversampling of Republicans because the Democrat Party is a little bit bigger than the, uh, than the Republican Party. So, you know, I mean, I question why, whether or why they had so many independents in this. But, but, I mean, when you look at, when you look at the underwater number and you look at the right track, wrong track number, when you look at the, um, the job performance approval number, when you look at, I mean, there's just nothing to like in this poll. I mean, there's just nothing positive about Joe Biden's administration uh, reflected in this poll. And Pete Buttigieg goes out yesterday and does the best he can at selling it. And the best, uh, Buttigieg is, I mean, he says a lot, but says nothing. I mean, Buttigieg is a little bit like Obama. He knows a lot of words. He's got an extensive vocabulary, but you kind of scratch your head. What the hell did he just say? I don't know what he said. Um, we're talking about the price of groceries, you know, the, the cost of living, gasoline, energy, uh, food, all these things. And he keeps going back to, um, you know, insulin's $35. We got a cap on insulin for $35. Well, I mean, I, I, okay. I mean, if that is that is that a winning message for a campaign? Groceries are up 100%. Fuel's up 100%. Uh, the cost of living is up 25%, 30%. But we capped insulin. I mean, we got we got a Medicare bill passed that caps insulin at 35 bucks. I mean, if you take insulin every day, I guess that's a big deal. But, but, I mean, you're going to win an election based on the price of insulin? And Buttigieg, because once again, he's kind of a, um, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a very articulate man, but he says absolutely nothing. I mean, he's, he's void. He's, a, he's, a, he's an empty vessel. I mean, he, once again, he, he, he knows a lot of words. He's a little bit like Dennis Miller. He's got an extensive vocabulary, but he says absolutely nothing. And they sent him out yesterday. I think, I mean, I think the reason... Well, I mean, you know, you won't want to really play chess here. I think the reason they sent Buttigieg out yesterday to take the brunt of the bad news is the two younger guys in the Republic, excuse me, the Democrat Party are Gavin Newsom and Pete Buttigieg. So to me, they try to make Buttigieg look bad. I mean, make him carry the water for an impossible sale. I mean, let's not send Gavin Newsom out to defend the president's record. Let's send Pete Buttigieg because we're, we're we're beginning to believe that of the alternatives, Newsom's better than Buttigieg, and if Buttigieg has to go out on all the Sunday morning shows, now once again, I mean that's nowhere near as big a deal as it was. I mean the Sunday morning shows are losing so much influence. I mean there was a day 
when Russert and and Brinkley and some of these other guys, I mean, when you sat down, that moved the meter. I mean, it did. How did you acquit yourself on Meet the Press had a lot to do with wh- where your political fate and future go. Um, it's just not the case anymore. I mean, that's just not the case. We've got this decentralization of news and I mean, you know, we, we said it a hundred times, uh, you get a chance to go on primetime CNN or Joe Rogan's podcast. Uh, where, where do you want to go? The, the one thing that I think we're beginning to, and, and some of the Republicans Rev, I think are, they don't like it, but they're beginning to accept it that we are in a generational realignment. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And the, the national review, I mean, they, they believe that Trump's legal problems were so complicating, there's no way he can win. And I think the National Review, I mean, that, that would be neoconservatism 101, but they're beginning to actually, you know, kind of, um, I don't say acquiesce, but they're beginning to give in to the fact and reality that, hey, maybe this generational realignment Tucker's been talking about, some of these other America Firsters, J.D. Vance, has been talking about maybe there's more to this than meets the eye. Maybe there's a lot more to this than we originally anticipated. This is not a thunderstorm. This is not, you know, a hissy fit. I mean, this is really and truly something that is going to change the face of the Republican Party. And, you know, if Trump's at 40, and I went back and looked this morning. Uh, In 2016, Trump was at 46.1. In 2020, Trump was at 46.8. Anything north of 48%. I mean, if, they, if if Donald Trump is polling legitimately, now now polls are polls. They're imperfect. It's an imperfect science. But if Trump's north of 48, he can't lose. I mean, they, he, really? he wins. No, no, no. Unless Zuckerberg spends a billion dollars and they do more of this ballot harvesting than they did in 2020. Uh, at 46, one, he wins. Clinton was at 48, two. Um, Trump's at 46, eight in 2020, but Biden was at 51, three. We had an uptick in national turnout of about 10 percentage points. I mean, we went from a 61% turnout in 16 to about a 68 or 9% turnout. in. I mean, we had a 10% increase in national turnout uh, at about a 23 or four or 5% increase in the swing states. <laughs> I mean, nationally, it was 10 points. Right. Yeah. In some of these swing states, it was 20, 23, 24%. And some of the Democratic precincts, it was 30, 35, 37, 38% increase in turnout. I'll let your mind wonder as to what you think <laughs> yeah. happened. But those are, Sounds some of normal. The, sure. I mean, that, those are some of the statistical anomalies that we talk about. But, but Trump can win at 46 and a half. He can't lose at 48 and a half. I mean, I'll say that Trump can win with with a popular vote at 46 and a half. He can't lose if it's 48.5. is someone on the phone. Let's yep. go there. Jim in Florence. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning. So I, I think the strategy with what you do with uh, the vice president's kind of been playing out in front of us uh, with their uh, sending the cathedral after uh, Clarence Thomas. Uh, he's the oldest member on the court. Uh, yeah, that's all you hear about is uh, all this uh, money surrounding Clarence Thomas um, because the best thing you could do with Kamala Harris is try to get her on the Supreme Court because that certainly is a, uh, um, a reasonable way in the voters' eyes to get rid of her from, from the other side of the, 
the spectrum from us. Um, but the next, uh, the oldest liberal Supreme Court is Sotomayor, and could we reasonably see her uh, looking to retire to make room for Kamala Harris? I don't know, um, but I, I think that certainly is a route they might go with Kamala. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, the Supreme Court's in play, and, and I would imagine that if a Republican wins, you're going to see Clarence Thomas probably retire at some point in time during that presidency. Got to be careful uh, about the Senate. Remember, Merrick Garland didn't get a chance to sit on the uh, on the bench, so you need to have <laughs> some sort of majority in, in the Senate. You know, talking about this is kind of an interesting uh, dynamic in the election, talking about abortion. I saw where um, since Roe v. Wade has been overturned, abortions are up in 37 states. And some states is up 40%. But, you know, 13 states have seen a decline in abortions. 37 states have seen an increase in abortion since Roe v. Wade was overturned. And now the states have this federalist authority on, you know, what sort of boundaries or guardrails or, uh, I guess, policy. A statute and and legislation enforces when a woman can and cannot have uh, an, an abortion, but yeah, I mean, Jim's, you know, the the Supreme Court is, I mean, that's in play. There, there's no doubt about it. And if a Democrat wins in 2024, there's a pretty good chance that Democrat gets a chance to replace Clarence Thomas. I mean, there's a very good chance that that happens. That's why. We need to figure out a way for a Republican whole serve on that seat and keep the um keep the court not five four, but the court today is I mean it's all in all it's six three. I mean I know Roberts frustrates and Kavanaugh frustrates from time to time, but on these central fundamental issues, I mean they've been fairly dependable. I mean they, they've not been as reliable as Barrett and and Alito and uh, Clarence Thomas, but but they've been. Uh, I hate to say it. They've been on our team more than they've not been uh, on our team. 843-661-0937. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. A couple of phone calls are on the line. Let's go there. Breeze, good morning. You're on. Hello, Breeze. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey. Yeah, we'll get a little bit of background. I don't know where that's coming from. Can y'all hear me? Yeah, yeah we hear you. You know, uh, my biggest problem I'm having right now, guys, is I just don't see any. I don't know how our country can succeed with the leaders and the choices we have. I mean, I spent about three hours over the past couple of days looking at some of Trump's interviews and things like that from going back 20, 30, all, all through his life. And, he, and boys, I'm saying that boy ain't right in the head. There's something wrong with Trump. I mean, you know, there's just something about him that just doesn't sit right. And uh, and then I'm looking at Biden and the rest of these guys. And then, dear Lord, I mean, there's nothing really to comment on, but I'm just sitting there saying, my God, that's the best this country can come up with. And it just is now right depressing is all I can tell you. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. You know, I've looked back, and, and, and I mean, I, I don't know what motivated me to do this, but, but sometimes in the last six months, I started thinking about what was so unbelievably abnormal 
not not a hundred years ago, but but ten years ago, and now is so accepted and mainstream. And you know, the one thing that I keep going back to is in two thousand eight, Barack Obama ran supporting traditional marriage. I mean, Obama said on a debate stage and a campaign stop after campaign stop that marriage is between one man and one woman. But that was in 2008, not, not, not 1968 or 1958 or, or 1888. I mean, in 2008, Barack Obama um, said that, and, and I really believe, I think there's much more to that. I mean, if somebody said write a sentence down that really matters. I mean, in other words, g- give me a starting point. I'm a historian. Give me a starting point. And let's, I mean, I'm asking you a question. And the question is, how did we get here so fast? I mean, how are we all of a sudden? having legitimate debates in mainstream media about an eight-year-old entering into a medical contract with a health care provider to have their sex changed. I mean, how did we get from there to here? How did we get from 2008 when Barack Obama said that marriage is between one man and one woman 15 years later, we're arguing whether an eight-year-old should be allowed to have a sex change operation without parental consent. You know, and a healthcare provider being willing to do that in the name of what? I'm an extremism. And, and it really goes back, and this is where, uh, you know, this is where I don't have anything to substantiate my claims, but I believe it's Obama. I mean, I believe that we live, I talked about this a couple of days last week. I think we live in a post-Obama world. I mean, I know we live in a post-Second World War world. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Some of these, some of the monetary systems and you know, the, the, um, the American empire and I mean, there, there's some macros there that, that are unquestionable. I mean, I think we all agree that the majority of foreign policy and, uh, you know, intervent it's been American dominated, right? I mean, the, the, the majority of, I mean, people who know anything about history would, would easily agree. Yeah. I mean, if any country has shaped the last 75 years of the world, it's America. I mean, that, that's indisputable. We, we can argue should have been doing more here, should have done less there, got this right, got that wrong, got these three things, uh, could have done better. The, I, I get all that. I mean, those are very interesting debates and very worthy debates about accounting for history. But it's hard to argue that since the end of the Second World War, America's had more influence on the world by far than anybody else. But, but then you get to this micro of the macro, and that is Obama. And, you know, nobody knew who he was, guys. And, I mean, I read something uh, toward the end of last week. How many of you know that Barack Obama, uh, and it's fairly under some of it, a couple of books that have been written about Obama mention a lady named Sheila uh, Yeager, and she is now a professor at uh, Oberlin College. But, you know, some reports is he asked her to marry him twice, and she refused both times. And it scarred him. Now, once again, the media is not, the media wants to portray him as some messianic figure. You know, we are the ones we've been waiting on. Well, you know, today is the day that the oceans will cease to rise. And I, I just believe that, you know, half of Americans have lived under a spell. And I mean, Trump, I mean, excuse me, Breeze is talking about Trump and I don't know what to make of Trump. And I, I you know, I, the, the, the national media are arguing that half the nation are spellbound by this carnival barker, you know, this huckster, this hustler. Um, I would argue that it all began in 2008 when Barack Obama got elected and nobody tried to figure out who he was. 
Nobody went down the road of what did this guy believe in. I mean, he gave a speech at the Democrat National Convention. It's not the red states. It's not the blue states. It's the United States. And people lost their mind. It was like a Beatles concert. I mean, people went crazy. He was a, a phenomenon. It was unlike anything we'd seen in modern politics. What did he believe in? Nobody knew. I mean, he ran as a centrist. How do we know he ran as a centrist? Because he ran as a Democrat saying that, you know, marriage is between one man and one woman. I think he's a devout communist. I mean, I know he's a radical extremist, but I think he's a devout communist, and I think he's deeply racist. I mean, you look at some of the racial animus and racial tension in America today. Most people believe, I mean, if you talk to serious people, we've got a lot of issues with race in America today. Racial tension is is as hot as it's ever been. Uh, Racial uh, reconciliation is something that a lot of Americans just seem to not have much of an interest in. Um, We, you know, I think we've regressed since Barack Obama. I mean, wouldn't it stand to reason that if a nation that in, uh, includes, what, 13% African-Americans vote for an African-American, racial tension would um, simmer. I mean, there, there would be an expectation that, okay, we're clearing another hurdle. We had a civil war, and since the civil war, um, we, we, you know, from the time we fought a civil war over uh, ra- uh, excuse me, slavery and the Emancipation Proclamation, we get to a place in 2008 where a white-majority nation decides to vote for an African-American president. I mean, isn't that racial healing? I mean, isn't that less racially divisive? 13% of the population can't elect a president. So if we're racial, I mean, if, if everybody is racist in America, there's no way anybody but a white guy or a white lady is going to ever get elected president. But, but you know, the media fabricated this figure, this character that, that most didn't know very much about. And out of that came a presidency that was transformational, and nobody held it accountable. You know, whatever Obama said, once again, uh, when, when Obama said we're the ones we've been waiting on, why didn't a member of the media say, well, what exactly does that mean? You know, we're the ones we've been, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a pretty, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a, a provocative statement. What exactly do you mean um, there? But, but as I've read more and more and more, I mean, I, I, I'm convinced that Obama is deeply racist, he is a devout communist, and we should have known that before we uh, he was allowed to show up and uh, basically out of thin air, you know, win the presidency in 08 and again in 2012. I know many Democrats who don't think he was qualified. I mean, I've got a lot of Democrat friends of mine who say, no, nah, he was never, ever. I mean, I don't know why we thought he had the ability to be a, a, an executive or a manager. I mean, he's never had any of those Ah, what am I trying to say? Traits or characteristics in his past. But but nobody told America he was a devout communist or deeply racist. And and once again, I'm forming these judgments from from afar. Um, Rev, did you know that Obama asked a white woman to marry him? And she said no. I did not know that. Okay. Well, I mean, you I know, heard that. And and most reports are twice that that was the case. Um, I mean, wouldn't it stand would some of that be interesting to know about this um this this transformative figure in, in in American politics. It's just very interesting to me. And and if anybody's as interested in that as I am, read the Obama factor. I mean, it, it's a serious, and here's what I think has happened, and I don't know uh, this to be the case, but I think a lot of Americans are looking right now at this moment in history saying, wow, 
I mean, this is a very intense moment in American history. How did we get here? But I mean, it's after the fact, and it's somewhat of a post-mortem, but I think a lot of the, the serious people in the media, I'm not talking about uh, the person hosting a show on MSNBC. I'm talking about David Samuel, David Garrett, but these are serious people uh, who, who do serious work, and I think they're beginning to try and better understand this moment in American history. How did we get here? How did we get to this very radical place? And I think Trump is a, is a byproduct of that. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that Donald Trump came as a result of Barack Obama. Now, a lot of people will blame Trump for it. Sure. But, well, I mean, that's the easy out. You know, Trump's not an academic. Trump's not a liberal. Trump's not, you know, um, uh, highly acclaimed in the world of, uh, you know, globalist intellect. Um, so, so he's easy. He's going to be an easy target. He's kind of a bull in the china shop. And you know how those bull in the china shop are in these complicated moments in American history. But the point I'm trying to make is how did we get to this unbelievably complicated moment in American history. And, and my argument is nobody has gotten us here more than Barack Obama. He contributed to us getting to this very complicated, intense moment in American history. And I think the media did the people a great disservice by not telling us who this guy is. Now, once again, I'm speculating. I don't know that he's a devout communist. I, I suspect he is. I don't know that he's intensely racist. I suspect he is, but we, but, but I think now at this moment that there are some serious people left out there who ponder these things. And I think they're going to work to try and better understand, okay, we went from a, a centrist Democrat running in support of traditional marriage to a moment in history that is an absolute powder keg. How did we get here and who's largely responsible? It's not Trump's fault. I mean, I, you know, it's not Trump's fault. I mean, he stirs the flames, I mean, they, and he takes advantage of the, you know, the resentment. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. But, but I just, I think when you when you list the cast of characters who got us here to this very intense moment, <laughs> n number one on my list is uh, Barack Hussein Obama. Let's go to the phone. Anthony in North Carolina. Good morning. Yeah, fellas. Okay, you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hello? Hey. Okay. First of all, Ken, I've noticed that you really don't like Barack Obama, but most of your audience don't ever call in and really agree with you. I believe because they did their homework on 9-11. The Patriot Act is the worst thing that ever happened to the Americans. The Patriot Act foremost. To me, Barack Obama was a distraction from what happened on 9-11. As long as Barack Obama's in office, people like you not thinking about what really, really happened on 9-11, Barack was a, a distraction. That gay stuff, that don't mean that compared to your rights as a citizen being invaded by the Patriot Act. But the reason I call, I want to ask Reb this right here. You older Reb. The racism is whenever you have the power over someone to hold them back from achieving stuff, from going somewhere, from you have the power over somebody. Now, me staying in North Carolina growing up, I seen a restaurant that I, I, uh, my parents couldn't go into. Restaurant that I went to the back door. A place called White Lake, big attraction. Blacks couldn't go there whenever I, I was a small kid. White Lake, North Carolina. Now I want to ask you, Reb, have you ever been? Um, have you ever had racism put on you by a black person? Do you know any of your friends that a black person has refused them any kind of rights or anything for racism? I hear that. Blacks are racist, too. 
But racism has has to have a power behind it. I want to ask Reb, have you ever experienced racism from a black person? Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. I can't identify a time where I could point to it and say that that, that was the case. No. Well, but but if you if you if you define racism the way Anthony did, and he's certainly entitled to do that, he's saying when someone has the power to control what you can or cannot do, and I'll never defend you know, um, black people not being allowed to eat in re- certain restaurants or right. drink from certain water fountains or having to ride in certain places on a bus. That's inexcusable. I mean, we should all be embarrassed and ashamed that we ever allowed that to be uh, the case in America. I can't fix what was. I mean, I can look forward and try to understand and learn from from that. But but I think the, I mean, to me, the definition of racism is to believe fundamentally that one race is superior to the other. Um, I mean, that that's kind of the emotional definition of reaction um, to racism, I'll ask you this: um, Is racism better in America since Barack Obama served two terms in the White House? I mean, it was. It was I mean, we I, seem I, more divided. Well, I mean, we're deep. I mean, it, I'm telling you, it is a it is an intense moment in American history. I mean, this is a very intense moment in in, in American history, and I talk to people from all walks of life. Um, I mean, there, there, there is Washington fanning the flames of and generating some of the stories that I don't buy and, and don't believe are consistent. I, I'll say this. I think Anthony and I could drink a cup of coffee, drink a beer, you know, talk about some things. We would agree some and disagree some. Um, and I'm not saying that, that, that Obama is solely responsible for this moment in American history. But, but in 2008, a largely white nation elected an African-American president. Did it again in 2012. You'd love to believe that that was going to lead to a place of racial, uh, more racial harmony and racial healing. And it's hard to convince me that is the case. It seems to me we're more, I don't want to say racially insensitive. We're more racially inclined today uh, than we have been in a long, long time. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Dan in Savannah. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, fellas. I had to pull over and call. Uh, I'm originally from Chicago. Grew up, started traveling in, uh, for work in the South about six, seven years ago. And when Barack Obama came up, it, Illinois is one of the most corrupt states in the union, except the Democrats and the Republicans split it down the middle. But Obama had no experience. He had no uh, – his, his political background went – uh, skyrocketing, and it seemed like nobody on the national level was paying attention to the fact that this was just a Democratic uh, a power move, and he was articulate. And when he first came up, I, I didn't vote for him, but I thought he's articulate and intelligent enough to unite the con- country. But what I found is I, I won't go as far as communist uh, end, but – Definitely socialist. I don't like anything he did. And, yeah, he absolutely used it uh, as a device. And that's what these power brokers that are in the background do. And, you know, again, it's about the money. What's the question? Another question is Barack Hussein Obama. Thank you, Dan. Love appreciate it. you guys. Thank take you. Care. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. We need to take a break. Am I right? No, not yet. Don't need to take You're a break. probably squeeze in another call. Okay, let's take a call. Uh, Rick and Sumter listening to WDXY. Hello, Rick. Hey, good morning. Good morning, morning, sir. This is one of those rare occasions. I agree with everybody. Um, (laughs) Good. You know, 
I do think, you know, that Obama was a divisive figure. If you look back at his background out in Hawaii, um, while his mama was doing porn, he was raised by a devout communist. That was his mentor and role model. And I believe he does have a lot of those leanings. And I believe that he did capitalize on racial division as a power move. But I also believe that, you know, I think there's, I agree with the definition, racism. Racism does include the power to oppress. Other than that, it's ethnocentrism, which is just the belief that your ethnicity, you know, has superior qualities or prejudice. But racism includes the power to oppress. And a lot of these, it's a very casual term these days, reverse racism. In a lot of cases, that doesn't exist. But what I really wanted to get at is I believe that one thing we're in the middle of now is there is a belief that Donald Trump is conservative. And I believe Donald Trump is a populist. If you look back through his history, he is, he is a very much populist. He'll grab a bandwagon and decide. Did we lose Rick? I agree with Bruce. And we lost that continue, last Rick. sentence. We lost that last sentence. I'm sorry. You're apparently in a little bad area. We got you back now, so continue. I'm sorry. Okay. I said um, I think there is a misconception that Donald Trump is a conservative because he is not. He is a populist, and he always has been. And I kind of think that he is losing it now. Him and Biden are neither one fit to be president. They, we need to get somebody younger sharper and a little bit more defined thank you rick appreciate that i mean i don't know that i'm a conservative i mean if if, if you make me declare my path conservative populist and 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 force me to be just absolute honest with myself i'm probably more populist than i am uh fundamentally conservative i mean i think i believe in less government and lower taxes and the deregulation parts of that but, but I, you know, I want government to serve its people. I want the average American to be served by its government's actions and reactions and policies and statutes and ordinances. And I think by definition that makes me, in, in other words, I'm not afraid to government being utilized. And this goes back to J.D. Vance. And I think Vance is kind of accepting. Um, that would be an interesting debate, Rick. Where does populism and conservatism have some common ground? Um, the overlap. But, well, right. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's some overlap. I mean, I, I am a believer in limited government. I mean, I, I think that by nature makes me more conservative than liberal, but I am far more about empowering the American working class, the American family, the American way of life. And if it means government policy and edict to get that done, then count me in. So by nature, I'm asking government to do certain things that conservatives would rather government not do, but I'm asking it to do it to support a populist cause. So I'm probably, you know, a, a major in populism, a minor in conservatism if I were in college, which I was for a summer and a semester <laughs> back in the early, early 80s. 843-661-0937. Back in a few minutes. 843-661-0937. Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz in our nation's capital. Good morning, Ryan. How are you? 
Doing good. How are you, sir? We're doing well. So um, the latest example of a politician getting in trouble includes, it's kind of like a movie script, uh, bars of gold and cash in envelopes and uh, and in pockets of clothes and whatnot. What is the latest on New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez being indicted on, on bribery charges? Well, the latest is that based off of some of the reporting from uh, some local outlets in New Jersey is that later on today, he is going to announce that he is running for re-election despite <laughs> all the legal issues he's facing. God bless New Jersey. <laughs> so, 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 but, but what are Ryan, what are his, uh, what are the fellow members of the Senate saying on and off the record about whether Menendez should continue serving? I think he gave up uh, his chairmanship of the foreign council. Yeah. Am I, yeah, yeah but, he, he, he suspended his uh, his chairmanship on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Certainly, a very important chairmanship for for any you know member of Congress to have. But yes, it would be definitely a liability to have somebody, especially one facing an indictment that involves taking bribes from the Arab Republic of Egypt uh, in that position. So he, temporarily, he's going to be suspended from that. It looks like. Uh, but in terms of you know re, an ultimate reaction, you know, really, Senate's been relatively quiet. You know, John Fetterman's been one, the only Democratic senator as of right now that I've seen who's come out and said that he wants um, Menendez to resign. Leader Schumer has not said anything yet, yet, neither has the White House. Maybe we'll get more of a reaction today as they get back this week. Uh, but it's been relatively quiet on the Senate side. But the New York delegation's been a little more vocal. You have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez calling on him to resign. You have Representative Andy Kim already deciding he's going to run uh, against Menendez in the primary, and I wouldn't be shocked if we see more primary contenders for Menendez if, in fact, he does run for re-election. When is the uh, what, what is the timeline? I mean, there have been formal charges and indictment. Um, yeah. I mean, we know some of the timeline of the Trump trial. When 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 would the right. Menendez timeline be known or made public? Yeah, I, I, I believe he's supposed to have an arraignment uh, later on this week, and then you know ultimately they'll set a court date. But I think if we're kind of basing off of what we've seen just with the Trump trials, uh, it looks like it's very likely Menendez could be going to trial uh, in the midst of either a primary season for him or even a general election season for him. So it, you know whether or not. You know, he obviously is going to get his day in court, but this is definitely going to be a campaign liability if he runs for re-election. Interesting. Ron, thank you for your time. Have a great day, sir. Uh, you too. Thank you. 843-661-0937. Members of the Senate are eerily silent because they probably have bars of gold and cash money in their homes. Uh, really? I mean, what, yeah. what do you make of this? I mean, this just kind of can't. I, I had not heard this story at all. It I, just kind of came out of nowhere. I think me. the best thing to do, and I'm a big NASCAR fan, watched the race yesterday, is just force these. We're talking about dress codes and what's accepted or not. Let's do away with the current dress code. You can't dress like Fetterman, but you don't have to dress like McConnell and Schumer. But the requirement now is, and it doesn't have to be a fire suit because there's no threat of them catching on fire, but you've got to put your sponsors out publicly. <laughs> right. I mean, if you're driving for Ford, there's a Ford emblem. If you're driving for GM or Toyota, there's a GM and Toyota. If Pfizer's your sponsor, then Pfizer. If the labor unions are paying your bills, then you're you're sponsored by the labor unions. BlackRock, uh, you know, Vanguard, Goldman Sachs, uh, Wall Streeters. I mean, you know, in other words, when um when a member of the Senate walks out of uh, one of the caucus meetings, he has a not a fire retardant suit on, but but a suit that lists all of his sponsors 
Therefore, when we find bars of gold and cash money, we know who's responsible for furnishing the bars of gold and uh, and the cash money. Uh, so I would like to go back to the Obama conversation okay. because, I mean, it's, it's a complicated story, right? He's a complicated man. He's an extremely complicated man. He's an extremely bright man. That, that's what makes this so interesting to me. You've got a, an extremely bright, extremely capable, extremely complicated man that we knew nothing about. And he became president of the United States. I mean, he's not a guy with a 30-minute show on CNN. I mean, he became president of the United States. He's unbelievably smart. He's unbelievably complicated. He's unbelievably extreme. And that's why I think, and, and I don't know that I'm right here. And he said he was going to transform the country. Well, I mean, he said, we're the ones we've been waiting on. And, and I, I just think that when you have that trifecta, extremely smart, extremely complicated, and extremely unknown, there has to be a deep dive at some point in time. And I, and I believe that, that there are serious people in the world who still consider their job to not be, you know, an activist or a hack. And I'm not talking about the mainstream media. We know what they are. I mean, they're, they're normally not real smart. They're not real diligent. They're not very hardworking. They, 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 they kind of traffic in entertainment. And they make a lot of money. And God bless them. I mean, America has an appetite for that. But there are serious people out there still who will do the work necessary to find out, you know, what, what's kicking here. And I think we've got to a moment in American history where where we see this division, we see this intensity, and some people say, where did this come from? And I'm not blaming Obama for all the division in America or all the animus in America. Trump absolutely is too on. Um, I mean, he fanned the flames. I mean, we, we were at a very controversial moment in American history, and Trump poured gasoline on the fire or rocket fuel on the fire. So, I mean, you know, when I'm not saying it, you know, Trump all good, Obama all bad. I'm not arguing that. But as I read more and more and more and more about Barack Obama, not in the New York Times, not on CNN, but rather David Garrow, David Samuel, guys that really have dedicated and gone back and do the research. Who influenced Obama? You know, who were his friends? Who were his associates? Who were his mentors? Who did he listen to? Who did he associate with? How did he shape his worldview? I think you find, once again, extremely smart, extremely complicated, and, and we know very little about what got him to where he is. And and I think when somebody is that transformative and and, and consequential, you, you got to go find out who is this guy. And, and I don't think we've ever done that. And I think we're beginning now to sense that in the name of <laughs> in the name of better understanding, let's go back and dig into this. Um I mean I don't think Trump's that complicated. Do you? Oh no. I mean, he's no. controversial. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's consequential, but I don't think Trump's that complicated. Uh, I think Rick's all over it. I think Trump at heart is a populist. Uh, ideological, I mean, uh, Trump didn't go, I mean, I went, he went to UPenn. I mean, that, that's an Ivy League school, so he's highly educated for what it's worth. But but Trump's never invested much of his life in understanding, you know, this, ideologic, uh, this, this ideological uh, position opposed to that one and and you know who wins the debate between William Buckley and I mean I, I just don't think Trump's ever got into that when you go back and read um, some of what shaped Barack Obama's I mean it's extremely ideological and I think he's a devout communist 
And and I can say this, and I'm not I'm not trying to cause controversy here. I think he's a I think he's racially motivated. There you go. That's a good I think he is very racially motivated and and I think he's had a lot to do with this moment in American history. I've said it, I'll say it again. I'll stand by my comments. I think Joe Biden is a figurehead. I think the majority of Democrat policies in America today come out of, you know, the, the Obama school of acolytes. I'm mean, the Obama followers, the loyalists to Obama. Now, now, is Obama a devout communist in conjunction with, with, with um, you know, cutthroat Chicago? Probably. Probably. And I'm not saying Garrow and Samuel get it right, but they, they've done some research and they try to understand um, where he's from, what he's about, and how much he's contributed to this moment in American politics. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning, Joe. You're on. Yeah, good morning, guys. The, the biggest thing that influenced Obama, you know, when he was young, he went back to, I guess, uh, Hawaii and went to, to a private high school. And Frank Marshall Davis was in Hawaii then writing for the, actually, the Communist Party. He was a card-carrying, numbered member of the Communist Party, and he influenced Obama quite a bit, and he talks about it in his book that when he went to college, he looked for structural Marxists to hang out with. He studied Cloward and Piven, and he studied uh, rules for radicals and all that, and if you look at the progression through history, you know, we had the sexual revolution in the late 60s and early 70s. And that's when they brought about Roe v. Wade, because before that, the family was a unit, and it was, and I guess, an embarrassment to have a child out of wedlock. So they took care of that with abortion. So they passed Roe v. Wade, and it kicks on through, and and you go through the, Obama coming up and becoming president. So they said, wait a minute. We've, we've elected a, an African-American president, so we don't have that card anymore. And what did they pivot to on his second term when he can't get reelected? And Biden is the one that jumped the shark when he announced that uh, same-sex marriage was going to be legalized. And then, of course, the Supreme Court followed suit and, and did that. So they they take advantage. They use the system to destroy the system. Now, Clower and Piven, you know, has, has always advocated to overload the system to collapse it. And that's where Obama started the thing on immigration, the DACA. You know, the Supreme Court has said that was illegal, but Biden doesn't care he's still doing it he's supreme court says forgiving a student loan that's illegal he doesn't care he's still doing it you know we've gone through we started out with republicans aren't standing up for anything every time they've stood up and fought we've given a majority in the, the house and the senate i remember in 14 they gained like nine seats because they all said they were going to get rid of Obamacare. Well, 
McCain ran in 16 promising his people he would vote to get rid of Obamacare. And he's the one that stood on the Senate floor and put the thumbs down because of Trump. But he lied to his constituency, and then he died. But right after that, we started losing the House and the Senate because they all lied to us. They came out with cents and bowls. They were going to fix Social Security. They are going to fix the deficit. They are going to fix this. They make laws, and then they ignore them. Mitch McConnell the other day says, uh, we always lose in a, a government shutdown. No, we don't. When Republicans stand up and hold their ground, they get rewarded. You know, because this thing is, you know, just like the flood. Everybody was doing what they were doing until the flood came. And that's what's going to happen to our economy. They're shutting down oil. What does oil do for the world? We have the, the reserve currency for a reason. We trade in oil. If you do away with oil, they're giving away our reserve currency, and then we're going to be in a world of hurt. I guess we're all thinking about the past today. I heard Breeze talking about it and you talking about it earlier. You know, what's happened in the past? Well, we need to start looking at history and see all these parts come together. And we need <laughs> we need a big change. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Biggest news of the weekend politically, I think, is the ABC News Washington Post poll. What do we make of that? Um, is it a setup? Uh, probably to some degree it is, uh, but it's not really to influence much of what the Republicans do, but rather to shine a bright light on um, how weak a candidate Joe Biden could be. Um, here's kind of an interesting question. As a Trump supporter, I mean, it's not inevitable and anything can happen, but it looks to me that Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. Would you rather run against Joe Biden than Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom? Josh, I'll ask. I mean, if you, if, if, if Trump's the nominee of the Republican Party, who would you not want to run against in 2024? Of those three, Gavin of those three. Newsom. Okay. Well, is there another? I mean, did, did, did I leave somebody out? Uh. I, I, I'll, I don't tell you, know I'll tell you the best these. candidate with a D beside their name is Josh Shapiro. I mean, he's the best candidate they have. He would be the, um, I don't want to say the Trump slayer, but he'd be the guy that I'd be See, most concerned governor with, of Governor Pennsylvania. Well, let me ask you something. Do okay. you think that the Democrats' best chance is to go with another moderate like Joe Biden, who's but who's much more competent, or <laughs> a, well, you know, like they consider him to be moderate, or someone like uh, AOC. Well, I mean, the problem with the Democrats is the voting base is socialist. Right. I mean, it really and truly is. So, so if you've got a socialist party and, and this is, I mean, I'm not condemning the Democrats. They tell you, I mean, the polling, when, when you, when you look at some of the internal polling of the Democrats, they'd rather government be in control of the economy. Um, they're, they're not real fond of capitalism and, and that's not me couching the question a certain way. I mean, this has been in eight or 10 or 12 polls. Democrat primary voters today don't care much for the free market. They don't care much for you being allowed to express yourself. 
Um, 70% of Democrats believe that censorship should exist. If people are being reckless and careless with their uh, disseminating of opinion or information. So I mean, they, they're, they're kind of in bed with that. This, um, that this orthodoxy, that this socialist uh, agenda, the independence, and, and maybe that's in this poll. Maybe, I mean, if you want to really start speculating and, and that's all this is, is, is speculation. Cause I'd looked at the, um, the, the, the sample of the poll from the ABC News, Washington Post, and, and it's 25, 25, um, 42, 42 Democrat, excuse me, 25 Democrat, 25 Republican, 42 independents. I guess the balance is uh, unaffiliates because for you folks in Pamplico, 25, 25, and 42 don't equal 100. <laughs> um, but I would imagine the other un- unaffiliates, there's a um, there's kind of a pride factor with unaffiliates. We're not independents, and independents aren't aren't unaffiliates. But you're not a loyal supporter of either of either political party. I think there's an oversampling of Republicans here. I mean, it should have been. I mean, if I were building a, a model to poll, and I guess I've learned this from talking to Robert and some others. I mean, it would be 34 Democrat, 31 Republican into the balance. You know, it would be independents and unaffiliates. That's why I'm trying to figure out what is the chess move? What's the strategy? Why Washington Post, ABC, why would they oversample well, I mean, Republicans? Ignatius did it last week, the week before when Ignatius basically said, you know, Joe Biden's been the greatest president in the history of mankind, but he probably doesn't need to run again. I mean, it's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the ultimate backhand compliment. The guy's been a great president, but it's probably time for him to consider, probably time for the Democrats to consider um, someone else, I, I just think that Joe Biden's only value to the Democrats, because once again, I think he's a figurehead. I don't think he governs. I think Obama, and I go back to something I said to Rev during the break. This is a weird thing to say, but think about it for a second. Do you think of George W. Bush's presidency in the past tense? Yes. George H.W. Bush. Yes, of course. Clinton. Reagan. Obama. I, I just think when we when we think of Obama, it's always in the present. It's never in the past tense. That's a weird way to say, what are you trying to I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, he, he's the only former president who kind of hung around Washington, well, he right? He still stays in Washington. He's still in the middle of all of these things. Is uh the the Obama excuse me, the Biden White House. Um I did that on purpose. The 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 <laughs> the, 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 the Biden Obama White House is still inhabited largely by the Obama acolytes. And I, I just, I, when, when you think of Obama, do you think president or past tense? I never think of Obama the past tense. I think of that scene that you brought up last week in the White House when Obama came back to the White House. President Biden was in the room, but people were knocking Biden out of the way, almost physically knocking him out of the way in order to shake hands with President Obama. The current president was a guy that nobody wanted to speak with. And, and some of these young people on Capitol Hill were just, just knocking. I mean, they, they were they were being rude. I mean, rude and disrespectful, but they wanted to get to the guy. It's Not, kind of funny you bring this up because during the show, I, you know, take down segment names to put on the website for when we post it online. And we were talking about Obama, and I was actually debating whether to write it in the past or present tense. He's, he's not a past tense <laughs> political figure. He's not a past tense political figure. He is a present tense political figure because he is transformative. And, and once again, um, 
his words, not mine, of course I'd love a third term. If I could wear gym, you know, or workout pants and, and stay in the basement to kind of tell everybody what to do and where to do and how to do. And I, and I just think that's what we've got today. So, so when you look at the poll, is, is it a reflect if 25%, I mean, if 25% of the sample are Democrat voters, I mean, 70% of them are socialist. And, and I can't do the back of, I mean, 25%, 35%, you know, th- let's say one of three voters asked in this poll, um, you know, ascribed to the, I don't know, the notions of, of socialism, 37% oppose Biden's job. Uh, he's 19 points underwater in job performance. I mean, that that's a big number. There's nothing he's doing good about. I, I'll even break it down this far, Rev. Um, if the government shutdown occurred, at the end of this month, 40% would largely blame Biden instead of the Republicans. I mean, that's when you know you're underwater. 33% would pin it on the Republicans in Congress. So, so when, you, when you hear that the— That's you know, the, rare. Well, I mean, the Republicans always lose when we shut down um, the government. I don't know. Uh, I, the Republicans do a bad job of messaging because, once again— some of the state parks and some of the federal lands and some of the uh, entitlement programs. Uh, I saw Ralph Norman over the weekend. Uh, Ralph said he would get paid, but some of the government workers would not, but they'll always get get back pay. The only two things that happen in a government shutdown is people get back pay and the government gets bigger. I mean, that, those are the only two guarantees about about a government shutdown. I mean, they'll they'll barricade Yosemite National Park, and they'll that's just you know, optics. Sure, though. I mean they, they'll tell the park rangers at the Grand Canyon to go home for a day or two or three. That they'll make it up. They'll all get back pay. Um, no, nothing about their world is that disrupted. Um, Congress gets paid. You know, I do believe that if you're going to shut the government down, you should you know enjoy some of the uh, some of the pain or suffer some of the pain so i would be for um congress not being paid uh and in fact i'd probably introduce a bill that says if we indeed agree to shut the government down nobody in this chamber gets paid but you'll get the back pay and the government gets bigger so that's the only and then maybe some of this is that generational realignment we're talking about M- maybe at every turn there is Less of the traditional mindset and more of this newfangled, whatever you want to refer to it, to it as. But um, but in 2016, Trump got 46 percent of the vote, 46 one to be exact. Because I went back and looked, in 2020 got 46.8 percent of the vote. And when you look at the national averages today, he's north of 47 at about every poll. Trump, Trump can't lose at 48. I mean, if Donald Trump gets 48% of the vote in a national election, now that doesn't lead to an exact number in the Electoral College, but there is a collaboration or a, not a, a correlation here, one with the other. And if Trump gets 48% of the vote, he wins Pennsylvania. He wins Michigan. He wins uh, Wisconsin. He wins Nevada. Um, I mean, if he gets 49% of the vote, it could be, you know, a, um, a remarkable victory. In 2024, now a lot of things can happen, and we're getting ahead of our skis saying, hey, this is the snapshot that we need to pay close attention to. I don't buy for a second that Donald Trump is nine points ahead. I mean, I I don't buy that for a single second. I think Trump right now is probably a couple of percentage points ahead of Joe Biden. 
but but I'm not I'm not as interested in how far he's ahead. What is his national popular number? I mean, that's the number I pay close attention to. And I'm telling you, if Trump's national number gets to 48, he can win at 46. I mean, he's already won at 46-1. He lost at 46-8. And the reason he lost at 46-8 is the the percentage of voters that turned out in 16 was about 60%, and it was nearly 70% at the national level uh, during the 2020 election. And in some of the swing states, it was 75, 78, 79 percent and some of the Democrat precincts in many of the swing states where the Zuckerberg money was heavily invested, I mean, it's north of 80 percent. So there's some statistical anomalies there. Um, and it's kind of interesting to me, Rev, that as part of this, this, this poll, they don't broach either subject, Hunter Joe Biden of the crime family or Donald Trump's uh, what possible convictions in these trials that he'll be a part of in a in a in a courthouse one day on the campaign trail, um, the next I have no idea, and and it's interesting that the ABC News Washington Post poll did not ask respondents would it change your mind if Trump got convicted, would it change your mind if Biden got implicated in some of this Hunter Biden financial ordeals. That's probably smart. It's probably smart not to skew the um the number or the data, but but it looks to me this ABC News poll solidifies the belief that Donald Trump can indeed win. And you better think about Joe Biden being the guy to stop him this time. Cause it doesn't matter. I mean, the ideology doesn't matter. The governing doesn't matter. I mean, their, their sole motivation, eh, their priority motivation is to beat Trump. I mean, that that's what the Democrats are in this for to stop Trump. So, you know, Biden sucks or doesn't suck. Can he beat Trump? Harris sucks or can he beat Trump or can she beat Trump? Can, uh, excuse me, Gavin, can he beat Trump? Shapiro, can he beat Trump? They're going to defer at some point in time to the person they believe gives them the best chance to beat Donald Trump. Right. I mean, that, and, that's where they're going. Any circumstance. Sure. And, and I have no idea who that is, but they'll begin gathering data. Now, now the Ignatius pronouncement and the ABC News Washington Post poll give the, the Democrat voters and the establishment-oriented politicos, the authority, or, or basically the leeway, the runway to say, hey, Biden might not be our guy. I mean, Biden, because it's going to get worse. I mean, the, he can do something about his polling. He can't do anything about his age and his mental decline. I mean, there's nothing he can do about that. There, there's not some peel they're going to give Joe Biden, and he might all of a sudden wake up one day with a clear mind and and a, and a sound guy. I mean, he's just, that, that's just not going to happen. So. I mean, you, you've seen an acceleration, and, and I'll tell you something else you've seen, a coverage of the mistakes. For a long time, they kind of didn't report on when he said, you know, some of these crazy things he says and some of these incoherent things he says, you know, thank God for Twitter and thank God for Elon Musk. I mean, if Jack Dorsey owned um, Twitter, all of these mistakes and full pause Biden has made would be in a vacuum, it would be one hand clapping. You would never hear any of these because they would, you know, they would cover it up in the name, in the name of censorship. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. So, do you follow is Jack, our number Jack Pos- Posobiec? Yeah, I do. or whatever on Twitter. So, his comment after seeing that poll yesterday was Trump is now polling above the margin of fraud. <laughs> well, I mean, that, and there's a margin of fraud here. Well, no, let's back up now. There is a margin of fraud if. 
these states are allowed to conduct their elections as they were in 2020. I mean, there, there's a there's a genuine expectation I think Republicans have of they did it in 20, they're going to do it again in 24. But when you break the numbers down, Rev, and I went back and looked over the weekend or yesterday, um, Trump at 46-1 wins. Trump at 46-8 loses. The national turnout in 16, 60%, it was nearly 70%. But if you dig a little deeper, um, the 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 more swingy the state is, the higher the turnout, the more Democrat-rich the, the precincts are, the even higher turnout. So that would be kind of a statistical anomaly that and, – and Trump's going to have to tell that story. I mean, in some way, shape, or form, he's going to have to kind of explain why he said those things and I don't want to say encourage those people, but didn't discourage people from the events of January 6th. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. David in Florence. Good morning, David. Hey, I saw where uh, there's a liberal group that's, that's uh, going to spend $70 million to make uh, Biden look cool online. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't see how you can get much cooler than Biden with those uh, aviator shades and the, and the thumbs up uh, like Fonzie. But uh, they probably uh, – they, I was thinking about maybe they could put him on uh, – Put him on a Harley, get him a get him a bomber's jacket and a bandana. Uh, but then you know he falls. He has a tendency to fall off of bikes, so I don't know how cool it would look if we didn't have training wheels. <laughs> but uh, maybe maybe they could uh, they could get him a Harley and, and put uh, Biden in a sidecar and uh, have somebody drive him around. What do you think? Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Eight four three. Six six one oh nine look cool. three seven. Well, I mean, he he looks cool until he starts walking, and then that shuffling of the feet, that that um that lack of a stride, shall we say, um, kind of convinces a lot of people. You know, I've got people in the medical community that tell me you can tell something serious wrong with him by his, you know, the way he walks. I mean, the shuffling of the feet. I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose if I had access to his medical records, much less by not having. But I've got medical professionals in my world that say when he starts walking, it's obvious that there's an issue cognitively because of the way he shuffles his feet. There's an imbalance to his stride. I mean, you would agree to that. I mean, there's an uncertainty. Let's be kind here. There's an uncertainty about uh, the way he not so graciously glides from point A uh, to point B. Let's take a call, then we'll take our break. Jeff in Florence. Hello, Jeff. Hey, good morning. Um, I guess you guys aren't uh, watching uh, Donald Trump's great assists lately uh, where he uh, says uh, that uh, we're getting ready to go into World War II. Did you catch that during his speech? Yeah, all I'm doing is the poll. The poll says that 30% of people believe that Trump does not lack the mental fortitude. 74% says Biden is too old and lacks the mental fortitude for a second term. That's a big number, 30 to 74. Yeah, and you just said, you know, you don't really buy these polls. Well, I, I buy that number. I don't buy Trump's up nine. Oh, I mean, I don't buy that right. number at all. Right, right. So, and, and they didn't ask any real, like, uh, the questions. I mean, I, the poll is absolute garbage. I, I mean, wouldn't you agree? No, not at all. So just the results of that one question you like. No, I mean, I don't think Trump's up nine. I, I think, you know, the, the issues they spoke to, he's 19 points underwater. 
The American people think he sucks on immigration. He sucks on the economy. He lacks the mental ability to do the job. Those are pretty important issues for the American people. Um, uh, 37% approve of his job performance, 656% performance on the economy, 29% approve handling immigration, um, 23% approve, uh, 20% strongly approve of his work overall, 45% strongly disapprove, 74% say he's too old for a second term. Right, right. But those and, are and devastating was- numbers. I can tell you this, if I was Joe Biden and trusted any of this data, I would find me an, an exit plan. I mean, I really and truly would. I would find a way to get off the field before I embarrass myself. Hey, Jeff, we got to take a break, but we'll take your call on the, or we'll continue this conversation on the other, uh, on the other side. Back in just a few moments. You know, someone asked me yesterday, why are UAW negotiations political? Because they always are. And Michigan is somewhat of a swing state. The Republicans have not given in uh, to the Democrats in relation to union voters. I think Biden will pick it with the, uh, with the workers sometime later this week, but the negotiations are ongoing with the UAW and some of the manufacturers. Jeff Manasso is in Chicago. Jeff, what's the, good morning, sir. And what's the latest? Hey, good morning. Yeah. Good morning to you. Well, the strike in its second week continues with 38 GM and Stellantis parts distribution centers now shut down in 20 States. That's the latest move from the United Auto Workers Union Friday that spared Ford any new strikes because the UAW says that uh, it's made progress in talks with Ford in a new labor agreement that includes boosting profit sharing, uh, cost of living allowances, and the elimination of wage tiers. All three automakers have said that they're offering about a 20% raise, uh, though though not good enough. Uh, the UAW is demanding a... 40% raise. They want a 32-hour work week and with benefits and, and, and job protections. Um, all three automakers have said that it's just they can't do it. They they can't meet the union's demands. It just wouldn't uh, it wouldn't be smart. Uh, they they don't have the money despite these these record investments that uh, record profits that the UAW uh, keeps talking about. These companies say we are mandated. We are being pushed by the federal government to to transition to all electric and that costs billions upon billions upon billions of dollars and and so that's what we're doing we're, we're spending the money we cannot do both so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out and and you're right uh, this is being played out on so many different fronts politically this is all about votes and support uh for these uh from these united auto workers union workers uh who will hear from president joe biden tomorrow uh, D.C. insiders say that he was scooped by former President Trump, who announced that he was going to skip the GOP debate in California Wednesday night. He's going to be in Michigan um, uh, you know, for, for a rally uh, with United Auto Workers. Uh, he says that this green, he calls it a green car scam. He said it's going to destroy the auto industry. He says it's going to eliminate uh, auto jobs as we know them here in the U.S. Um, but Biden is expected to be in Detroit on the picket line tomorrow. Uh, joining workers there, and, and he'll, uh, he'll he'll be doing he'll be calling on automakers to to give auto workers what they're asking for. So, um, going to be interesting. No question about it, Jeff. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the story, and we'll talk later this week. You bet. That's kind of an interesting. It's normally, um, you know, the the, the Republican just kind of gives in and says, "Look, we can't make any inroads with uh, with auto workers," and I don't know that they can or not. It's a risky proposition. But it is, I mean, I think Trump's playing the right card here 
by saying this evolution to green energy, this evolution to the electric car is going to cost a lot of you your jobs. So the guy marching with you, the one forcing uh, this transition faster than uh, the market can accept. I mean, he's the guy that eventually will cost some of you your job. Now, I don't know if that's a winning narrative. I don't know that UAW workers buy that or not. Um, they've historically been very loyal to Democrats. The union bosses in particular have been very supportive of the Democrat Party in general. Uh, when you look at the the number of contributions made by United Auto Workers unions and their hierarchy, it's been overwhelmingly in support of um, of the Democrats. But it is kind of an interesting uh, strategy. I looked during the break. Uh, we talked about the poll. I don't think Trump is up nine. I mean, you're not going to convince me Trump is up nine percentage points, but I do believe that Biden has significant problems. People don't trust him on the economy. They don't trust him to be uh, forceful enough on immigration. They don't believe he's mentally fit to do the job. I mean, there's a lot of bad news in this poll. Once again, I don't buy that Trump is up nine, but I went to the U.S. politics betting odds. I mean, there, there are some sites overseas that you can wager who's going to be the next president. This is the first time that I can remember ever sitting behind this microphone that Donald Trump, you ready, is the odds-on favorite to be president of the United States. Trump is at plus 210. That means if you if you put $100 down and Trump wins, you win $210. Uh, Biden's at 225. Um, Gavin Newsom's at 1400. Or if Kennedy's at 2000, Michelle Obama is at plus 2,200, and Ron DeSantis is at plus 2,700. So there's been a distinct move there in the betting odds. Once again, I don't think Trump's up nine, but I think this morning he is the odds-on favorite, and the wise guys agree with me to be elected president. And it's kind of astounding that as hard as all of these organized forces have worked to drive a wedge between Trump and voters, <laughs> he still stands and, and he stands stronger and taller than he, and I'll say that he has never been in this position in his political life. He has never been that I can remember the odds on favor to be president. But, but today per the U S politics betting odds, he's the odds on favorite. Let's go to the phone. Yeah. Jeff held on through the break. Jeff, there's some bad news for you. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I, I find it to be funny. Um, so funny. Okay. I'll, I'll, I do. Well, you know, I, I would imagine the wise guys find a lot of humor in you. Yeah. Let, let, let me just put it to you this way. Your station runs ads, political ads, right now. What are those ads talking about? They're talking about if you want to help the Democrats, you vote for Trump. And that'll help and guarantee that Joe Biden gets a second term. You're running those ads. And those ads are being run by Republicans. Right? Republicans who don't want Trump to win. I mean, that's surely you know what that's about. I, I do, but I mean, there's no mistaking. There's a block of Republicans who don't want Trump to be nominated. Of course, there they, is. Of course, right. I mean, there, there's a block that doesn't want Biden to be nominated. There's a block that doesn't want anybody. Nobody is okay, unanimously so, popular. Let's agree that Trump's gonna gonna be the nominee for the Republicans. Right. I yeah. I mean, I, I think likely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's yeah. it's highly yeah. likely that he wins the nomination. The only thing that stops him is an orange jumpsuit. Ah, I think he wins the primary there. Yeah. But I mean, like the only thing that stops Trump 
from being a Republican nominee with a chance to win the White House as an orange jumpsuit. No, I think he wins the primary in prison. Okay. But, but again, he's charged with some things, and he's being sued on ballots by Republicans to be removed on state ballots. Right? So legal jeopardy. But, but I stand by my comment. I think he wins the Republican nomination no matter what he's convicted of. If he's on all the state's ballots. Well, I mean, that's what the Democrats are trying to do. The Democrats believed they could ding him enough to beat him. They've dinged and dinged and dinged and dinged and dinged, and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. So now the strategy is keep him off ballots. Can can you just acknowledge that it is all Republicans that are testifying against him? It's never Trump Republicans, Jeff. Of course I can acknowledge that. You, you're trying to tell me that a Mick Mulvaney's a never, never Trumper? I think today he is. Yes, I mean he's kind of said that, hadn't he? You, you're, you're trying to tell me that uh, John, John Kelly, H.R. McMaster, all of his people that are testifying against him, they're never Trumpers. Yes. Okay. Absolutely, uh, they're never Trumpers. Right. So, so let's. But for let's every Mick Mulvaney, there's a million workers. For every Millie, there's a million. A regular folk, man on the street. That I mean, that, that's it. Trump's that bread and butter, and that's where that Democrats are struck. Democrats can't understand how this guy has gained such traction where they've historically had the upper hand, and that is in the working class. Donald Trump is going to give a speech the night of the primary about union workers in Michigan, and most experts believe Michigan's in play. Sure they do, right? Uh, and, I'll, and I'll say this to you. Like, do you think that the majority of of Democrats, you truly believe that they would throw over Joe Biden? Do you think that the the Democratic nomination is is open? I think the only thing the Democrats are interested in is holding power. And the only reason they've been supportive of Biden thus far is they believe he gives them the best chance to beat Donald Trump. And the second they believe otherwise, they'll throw him to the wolves. Absolutely they will. Do you believe the Democrats will be loyal to Biden if more information comes that says he can't beat Trump? I mean, do you think they'll stay in that lane? Yeah, you just said you don't believe the polls. Why should a Democrat? But I mean, all, I'm not saying I believe every poll, but I mean, th- there's a redundancy to polls at some point in time. I mean, I, I, I've said it before. If Trump gets to 48%, he can't lose. And right now, he's somewhere around 47 48%. If Donald Trump's national popular number is 48%, he can't lose. Okay, so let me let me get this straight. Like, in, in 16, we don't believe polls. They were saying Hillary was going to win. Trump came out of nowhere. Polls, polls are terrible. Nobody should believe polls. But now you find a poll that says Trump's going to win. Democrats need to throw off Joe Biden. You know, the Democrats should be listening to these polls and and getting rid of Biden. And I'll just say this to you. There's no chance that Joe Biden is not the Democrat nominee. I know you're talking about your wise guys. It's a great story. I've heard you talk all, you know, since I've been listening about how bad Joe Biden's numbers are and the Democrats got to get rid of him. And you know, and you absolutely know, the only chance the Republicans have 
is if they, there is an open primary and they put somebody who's not the incumbent on the Democratic Party. No, I don't you think know, to, today as chance. we sit, today as we sit, tomorrow could be different. A month from now will be different. But today as we sit, there's not a single Democrat that could beat Donald Trump. Today, there's not a single Democrat a that could beat Donald Trump. In a poll. Let me do, what, 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 where, where do the betting odds come from, Jeff? I mean, this is not a poll. Why, why, why was Trump behind, 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 and now he's not anymore? I mean, I mean, what, what is, what is some of these, um, what, what are some of these betting odds changing? You said the betting line's two ten to what? Two twenty? Two ten to two twenty five? Okay, uh, that's statistically a dead heat, wouldn't you say? Yeah, pretty close. I would agree to that. Okay, and and what is the United States right now as a country? Almost evenly divided. Pretty close. So you, you find that to be overwhelming evidence of an issue? I didn't say it's overwhelming evidence. I said Donald Trump, if the election were held today, would to be president of the United States, and something could change. There's no doubt some of these convictions is, should not change independents' minds. And some of the never-Trumpers, I don't know what percentage that is. I, I, do, I do know there seems to be less of that than there was six months ago. Because never Trumpers buy groceries and never Trumpers buy gas and never Trumpers have to deal with inflation. I've got about six or eight friends of mine who told me a year ago, I can't do it. I can't vote for him. Uh, Nearly all of those folks have said, remember what I said a year ago? Forget it. I didn't really mean it. I went to the grocery store. You know, I bought gas. I went on a vacation. I can't believe how much inflation has affected my buying power. And they blame Biden, whether it's all his fault or not. He's the captain of the ship, and they don't like the way the direction. So, so I stand by my comment. Do I believe Donald Trump is nine points ahead? No. Do I believe yeah. Donald Trump is the odds-on favor to be president today? Yes. And 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 here's here's where the brass. This is you know getting down to it. What has Donald Trump said he would do to fight inflation? Absolutely nothing. What can he do to fight inflation? Absolutely nothing. I'd love to see him solve the inflation problem in Europe and in Mexico and in Argentina. But guess what? He can't. And you know he can't. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. I've got no interest in what the inflation rate in Mexico, Argentina, Germany. I'm a globalist do. (laughs) I make it pretty clear. I'm an America firster. I am interested in what inflation is in America. And we can do something about inflation. We can become more energy independent. That that is one way to address fuel, and 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 you know we're at the mercy of countries that don't much care for us because we've decided to transition from a dependable, reliable, affordable energy source into some you know kind of a pie in the sky dream that we have that could take fifty years to to happen. We want to do it in in six or eight. Jeff, for the first time to me, you sound like you're concerned well, about the, these, these polls. Well, I mean, they, they they've thrown every jab they know to throw, and nothing has worked. And Trump is as strong today as he's ever been. Could change. But today, he's the odds-on favor to be president of the United States. Take a break. Back in a few. It takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937. Our number. A couple of callers on the phone. Let's go there. Charles in Lamar. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. Quick question for you. Uh, you were talking about Senator Menendez earlier today, and I've been <clears throat> on and off the phone trying to get through since then. To ask you this question, do you know when the FBI raided the Menendez home 
and found $100,000 in gold bars, $485,000 in cash hanging up in jackets in the closet, and confiscated a 2019 Mercedes-Benz. You know when that happened? I do not. And not June three months ago, but June of 22. Mm. And they held that information for 15 months and allowed him to maintain his seat as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and only released it when the excrement hit the fan regarding Hunter and Joe Biden and bribery and impeachment inquiries and things like that. Uh, I just thought that was pretty interesting. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate that. And I mean, I think it plays into this double standard. We'll see. There's not a double standard. I mean, we're going after, we indicted Hunter Biden, we indicted the Menendez's, uh, you know, and then we'll, we're going to do the same thing with Trump. I mean, the, the equal application of justice is indeed alive and well in our, uh-huh. in our nation's capital. I mean, I knew it was a good while back. I didn't know exactly when it was, but I had a, I had a feeling Charles Wood uh, calling in with that infer with that information. <laughs> uh, but, but I, it's all, it's all an optic, I mean, it's all a visual, it's all a storyline. It's, it's to try and convince the American people that there's not a double standard, that we're going to treat everybody the same. And if Trump breaks the law, then he's got to deal with breaking the law just as Hunter Biden does, just as Robert Menendez um, does. Menendez may be Teflon Bob. I mean, he got off the hook one time, you know, with a, uh, a scandal. He may think he can, um, he can do that again. And what are the expectations of the voters in New Jersey? I mean, after all, it is New Jersey. Let's go to the phone. <laughs> William in Marlboro County. Good morning. You're on. Morning, Dave. Ken. You know, we're talking about the UAW, Ford Motor Company, and all them there, right? Well, last time I done any electrical work, I'm a certified electrician. Electric motors don't need spark plugs, don't need spark plug wires, don't need oil, they don't need an oil filter. So all these other companies is going to go out of business. What's going to happen to them employees? I mean, the UAW, they're looking out for themselves, but they're not looking out for the companies that make spark plugs, that make spark plug wires, and all the other accessories that go along with gasoline engines. Thank you, Will. Nobody talk about that. Well, I mean, we, we try, thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate the call. Appreciate you hanging in there. Um, I mean, I've read in some of these, well, here we go with think tanks, but I've read that about 40% of all UAW workers will be displaced. If the Biden administration gets his way and the liberals in Washington convince whomever's in charge that we need to forcefully transition from, you know, a carbon-based economy to it's not clean energy because mining is more devastating to the planet than the extraction of gas and oil. But, but anyway, if we're going to go to a different sort, let's stop saying clean energy because it's not clean energy. It's cleaner to extract oil and gas than it is to mine for the minerals necessary for EVs and some of the other, um, some of the other, I don't know, uh, elements of the new energy grid that'll be at the, um, I mean, the Democrats are trying to con- convince us that out with the old end with the, with the new 40% of all auto workers will be displaced. I mean, I'm not talking about just GM and Ford, but all those associated, you got clustering and ancillary businesses that, you know, um, are, are totally dependent upon you know, the, the auto industry, the big three, it's really the big two and one more. Um, and I'm talking about domestic manufacturing. And I know BMW makes cars and Mercedes makes cars and Toyota makes cars in America. I'm talking about the legacy of the UAW is what we're, 
we're talking about here. I just think it's interesting that Trump believes there's a chance here to compete in Michigan. I mean, I've said I think Michigan's out of bounds. I mean, I think it's off limits. Uh, but 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 Biden has failed so miserably at every at everything else. I'll give an example. This is kind of interesting um, to me. The British Home Security, um, Swella Braverman, is coming to Washington this week, and she spoke to her, um, you know, her, to her parliament that at the top of her agenda in making her way to America's illegal immigration, and she wants uh, the United States and Western Europe to really understand that this is dire. I mean, this, and she said something in her comments um, that, that I found interesting. We must come together and ask whether the international conventions and legal frameworks designed 50-plus years ago are fit for purpose in an age of jet travel and smartphones. So the mention of international conventions, see, that, that always spurs my curiosity. International conventions. So I go back and read. Um, it's a reference to the U.N., Refugee Convention, which basically sets out the responsibilities of countries that grant asylum. In other words, if the UK and some of the countries in Western Europe and America grant asylum based on some designated criteria, the UN Refugee Convention says yay or nay. I mean, that, that, that goes back to some of these transnational you know, organizations that I think have failed America miserably. And it really, I mean, it crushed upon our sovereignty as a people and a nation. In other words, if we want to draft some asylum laws, we got to run it by the U.N. Convention, the U.N. Refugee Convention, before we can do that. And that's in conjunction with, with some of these other nations, some of these Western and, and developed nations. But, um, but, I mean, she says, I'm going to Washington to discuss this crisis with our America, um, American counterparts. If we fail to meet these challenges then our political institutions risk losing their democratic legitimacy. How do you have legitimacy if you can't secure a border? I mean, think about this, guys. If, if we are in a representative republic and the people we elect to go to Washington neglect that responsibility, the very responsibility of knowing who's in the nation, I mean, how do they maintain the moral authority and the, uh, the legitimacy, the democratic legitimacy to continue to say, Here's what we think needs to be done. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting. As long as, and this goes back to the poll, as long as the the Democrats and the media believed that Biden could win, they, they shielded the public from the optics of the mass invasion. Uh, people crawling under wire, over wire, jumping fences, cry, you know, um, walking across rivers and boat after boat after boat. I mean, it's just, it's absurd. I mean, it's crazy. It's like the wild, wild West. I mean, it really and truly is. But as long as Biden what was positioned that people thought he could beat Trump, you know, the, the American people were shielded from that because that's on Biden's watch, right? I mean, it, it, you know, it's his Border Patrol. It's his Department of Homeland Security. It's his uh, Mayorkas. It's his guy. So, so that leads me once again to believe that, you know, Jeff says there's no way to dump Biden. I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea um, procedurally how you do that. Timing-wise, how does that happen? I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be it, – it, it's still – I still believe it's more likely that Biden is the nominee than not. But it ain't 90-10. I mean, it may be 60-40-ish, somewhere thereabout. But I think when you see some of the other Sunday morning shows yesterday dedicated a good bit of their time – 
to showing the visual of people, you know, making their way into the country just just with a briefcase or suitcase in hand. You mean the morning shows that aren't Fox News Sunday? Well, c- correct. I mean, really? and, and that leads me to believe that okay. there's a that's a change. Well, I mean, they've got you know, Ignatius was the first, and then the poll comes out, the ABC Washington Post poll, and and I just think that really. Let's see where this goes. I mean, I think there are people now of power and influence that, that say to themselves, they're going to say, they're going to call in to this radio show and say, hey, what we're doing is seeing where this leads. You know, can we lure a Gavin Newsom? Can, can, we, can, can we convince our voting? In other words, let's fly a trial balloon. Let's float a trial balloon or two and see how this thing plays. Now, now the, the fundamental concern that I'd have 23% of Americans believe Biden's doing a good job on immigration. Now, now, those 23% would never turn on the Democrats. I mean, that's just, they're hardcore, uh, you know, they're, they're loyal, they're, they're irrational, impractical, it doesn't make any sense, but they're going to stay there. That's 23%. That's kind of the bottom. In other words, uh, Biden's numbers on immigration aren't going to 10%, because 23% of the public are brainwashed into believing that anything a Democrat does is, is in the country's best interest. Um, so why do you why do you continue to allow a policy that only has support of twenty three percent? I mean, you know it's bad policy. The public knows it's it's bad policy, but it allows potential voters into the country. So they're doing kind of a risk reward assessment. Are are we better off staying here? We we know the public doesn't support our position on immigration. We know the public believes we're lax in our enforcement of immigration policy. But we believe that of all the people we led in the country, we could figure out a way to register half of them to vote. So if you get, you know, 12 and a half of 25 million illegal immigrants on the voting roll in some way, shape, or form, it increases the likelihood that, you know, um, Democrats win elections at the state and federal um, level. That's the game they're playing here. It's a risky proposition, especially when you're banking on somebody, Reb, that isn't very competent. I mean, this would be different if this was the Democrat Party led by Bill Clinton or Barack Obama. I mean, nobody could accuse Obama of being incompetent. You can't accuse Clinton of being incompetent. You could easily accuse Joe Biden of being just politically incompetent, uh, not not a real smart man, and and diminished. So if you take someone, I mean, even somewhat diminished, Bill Clinton is still a smart man. I mean, as Obama gets older, I mean, he'll do he'll become a bit diminished, but nobody will say. Um, he's always been dumb. It's easy to say about Biden. He's always been a bit goofy and dumb, but now he's goofy, d- dumb, and uh, demented. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. David in the PD. Good morning. Hey, one other thing about uh, Senator Menendez, I guess what he took, cash, gold, and he's on the take. And in New Jersey, that's they'll say that's what I like about him. So I always look at that. That's that's a distraction. Uh, we go after Democrats too. Uh, Ken, Mississippi State, man. When you think about them, well, I said about Jerry Clower the other night. Jerry Clower said the did first college football that? game when he ever saw. He, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, I thought of Clower. I did. Okay. Well, see, now he would say he went to a football game, and all of a sudden he was at an outdoor disco. So that's what Dave likes about it. Some more power to Dave there. And there are so many similarities with Mississippi State's program uh, with South Carolina. It's unbelievable. Uh, I think they, uh, we've got 605 losses. They got 604. 
Uh, we've been to 25 bowl games. They've been to 26. So it's unbelievable uh, uh, how that goes. But uh, ha- have you watched that Christian Welker on Meet the Press? Uh, yes, I've caught it both times. Both times. I caught it both times, too. And she's got, I like her eyes. I hate to say it like that. But, oh, BDI, uh, Chuck Todd, uh, I'm, I'm so glad to see him. He gone, but. The same type of questions and this and that. I mean, I watched uh, Trump last week, uh, you know, we, with retribution, January 6th, pardons. Uh, do you think about jail, uh, Trump? Uh, fetus have constitutional rights. So same thing there. Um, so that's not going to change. But here's my thing. I would love to find out, maybe Jeff and, and, and people like it, who are the 15% that think they're better off with Biden? I've seen, poll, I watch these shows. Apparently there's 15% of the people out there that think they're better off with uh, Joe Biden as president than before. And I would love for those people to call in and love to hear their explanation on that. Now I'll, I'll leave you at that. Thank you. Appreciate it, David. 843-661-0937. Somebody else on the phone. Let's go there. Troublemaking Tim in Florence. Good morning, Tim. Hey, guys. How are y'all? Hey, Tim. Hey, so I was I was giving a call in. I, uh, I'm i just curious. I, I saw something recently from a buddy of mine uh, who just posted on Facebook, and he brought up every election year has a disease. So I'm just curious what you guys think. Do you think we'll have an election infection again? Because if you look, he posted SARS that was in 04, the avian 08, the swine in 2010, MERS in 12, Ebola in 14, Zika in 16, Ebola in 18, and finally Corona in 20. So I'm just curious, are we going to have a 20-year run of every election? We're going to have somebody bring up uh, disease. What do you guys think? How will that affect the, uh, the uh, political runoff we've got going on? I'll take it off. Thank you, Tim. I'll just say this, and this is in generalities. The more people that we don't see vote, the better chances the Democrat has to win. I mean, that, that's empirically clear. I mean, there is no denying that. I mean, if, you know, if we watch people go to the poll and cast a ballot, the Republicans' chances increase. If people mail in ballots and and we lose chain of custody, we're not sure where those ballots came from and where those ballots come from and where those ballots go and where those ballots didn't go and who voted and didn't vote and, you know, how sure are we of the identity of that person or not, the Democrat does better. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, And that's always the game played. And, And I guess to use a virus as an excuse for people not wanting to be out in the public not wanting to be in line, risk of infection, getting sick, some sort of disease or, you know, or, or, or death. I mean, I, we talked a lot about, I'm not laughing. I'm not trying to be funny or flippant. I mean, COVID killed people. No, no question about it. But, but COVID was the ultimate excuse for people not having to go vote. Let's get them a ballot. Let's get that ballot turned in some way, somehow. I, I would encourage Republicans to insist that that is not normal. I mean, if you if you do anything and nothing else, I mean, if there's one thing the Republican, um, you know, I, I guess the 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 grassroots and organizational structure of the Republican Party 
you must not allow what happened in 2020 to be normal. You just can't. I mean, there's got to be an effort to demand, require the the ballot stay in contact with the voter, and and we didn't do that in 20. We know we didn't do that in 2020. And um, I mean, you know, the the there's this belief that we should declare election day a holiday and disallow anybody from voting any day other than that day. I mean, I, I think that's impractical. And I do believe that people deserve consideration for not having to vote on election day. People travel, people have illness and people in the armed services. I mean, there are a lot of, there, there are a myriad and multitude of legitimate reasons that people deserve to vote absentee, but you can't let that. I mean, I think I read about the 2020 election, 38% of all ballots cast were cast with nobody watching that person vote. I'm not talking about watch who you vote for, but but that that is extremely rare. That number needs to be 15%. Because if we get to a number of 40%, if 40% of ballots counted are cast without some degree of personal oversight and chain of custody, the Republicans are going to have trouble again. Mm. I can assure you uh, of that. Let's take a break. Josh will be back in just a couple of minutes. 843-661-0937, our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Henry in Bethune. Good morning, Henry. You're on. Uh, good morning, Mr. Dari. How are y'all doing? Good morning. Uh, I just have a few points to make. The uh, The first uh, full EV Lamborghini doesn't come out until 2028. So as soon as millionaires and billionaires start replacing their B12 with electric power and they tell us how great it is, then then I might consider, and this is after three or four years of, of swapping to a hybrid or to an electric vehicle. Uh, next point is is that uh, Democrats are, excuse me, 50% of Republicans out there, if not the vast majority, will hold a Republican accountable for what they do when they hear about it. Now, Democrats, they don't. Like you said, the 23%, and I believe the number is higher than that. They just, they just have to be, uh, they have to be humble with that number because they know if the truth got out, it's, it's, it's going to be worse. And our future leaders of America who are seeing this play out, you know, I, I feel for them because what, what are they going to do when they want to go with their core beliefs? And that may be Republican, but they see this relentless attack that they are suffering through, and then to see what Democrats are getting away with and and nothing is being done. Criminal, criminal, just criminal things being done, and it sets a bad precedent, and it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Thank you, guys. Thank you. How much has partisanship hurt our government? I mean, I've said it, and I'll stick by it. I think the Democrats do a better job of circling the wagons. When, when, when the Democrats see one of their uh, teammates weakened, I mean, they, they don't pile on. They, they don't, you know, they, they, they don't try to dispose of that person. I think it's kind of interesting what Jeff said. I mean, Jeff said, you know as well as I do that Biden's going to be the nominee. Well, in the Republican Party, if the Republican was running for reelection and had the, the miserable numbers that Biden does, the party would challenge itself. The Democrats just don't do that. I'm not talking about dem- every Democrat. That's unfair to paint with that broader brush. But but the Democrats tend to circle the wagons and, and, and kind of stick to their guy or their guns 
Um, and I mean, guy literally and figuratively. I mean, that, but that's just the nature of of who they are. The Republicans, they'll they'll break ranks. I mean, we've got how many never Biden Democrats do you have? How many never Trump Republicans do we have? Somewhere between nine and fourteen percent. Mm-hmm. So one of every ten a self-professing Republican in America says no to Donald Trump. How many never Biden Democrats are there? I mean, they're never Biden until he's the nominee, and then they're a Biden. I mean, they're for him. When? Forever. Until when? Until they say he's not running anymore. That's, I mean, that, that there's something about the Democrats. Even if he's terrible at the job. Well, I mean, he's terrible at the job, Rev. I know. I mean, nobody believes that Biden's doing a good job. Buttigieg does, but Buttigieg equates doing a good job with, um, forget what groceries cost. Forget what energy cost. Forget the immigration. Forget all the, forget Hunter Biden. Insulin's $35. I mean, did you not know that we got a deal cut with Medicare, that insulin, Medicare and Medicaid, that insulin, we negotiated a price for all folks out there. You, I mean, that that's his equation of, of what success is. And the reason, and I'm getting real chessy here for a second, I think they sent Buttigieg out yesterday for a reason. I think the Democrats believe there's two young, charismatic figures in that party, Pete Buttigieg and Gavin Newsom. And they wanted to see if Buttigieg could sell. Forget energy, forget groceries, sell them on $35 insulin. And he looked like a fool. He sounded like a fool. Buttigieg is a little bit foolish and is naive or naivete and is is, uh, dis. just doesn't understand the private sector. I mean, he's never had an experience in the private sector. I think he was governor, excuse me, mayor of South Bend, mm-hmm. Indiana. Uh, his, his, I guess his experience in infrastructure is some big sidewalk project they did at Notre Dame. I mean, I think he managed, you know, 300 yards of sidewalks from touchdown Jesus to Notre Dame football stadium. And that qualifies him to be, you know, transportation uh, secretary. I mean, the, the absurdity of that. But, but Buttigieg went out yesterday on all the Sunday morning shows and tried to sell $35 insulin as, you know, um, kind of addressing inflation. And, and I think they did that on purpose. I think they, they'd rather have Newsom than, than Buttigieg. And once they decide, they'll circle the wagons. If the Democrats decide out with Biden, in with Gavin Newsom, there won't be a stray cat or two or three. There just won't. I mean, we're, we're dealing, and you know this as well as I do, we're dealing with the dilemma, a conundrum, mind you. And the conundrum is 30% of our voters are not going to vote for anybody not named Donald Trump. 10% aren't going to vote for Trump. If we could manage that in some, you know, but it's, it's going to be inexact. There's no exact way to say, uh, Rev's a never Trumper. I'm an always Trumper. Rev says, come on, man, you can't vote for anybody, but you can't vote for anybody, you know, not... You can't vote for anybody named nothing but Trump nor somebody not named um, Trump. There's got to be some coalescing there. There's got to be some, you know, whether it's Trump, whether it's DeSantis, whether it's Haley, whether it's Scott, anybody's better than Biden. I mean, I think most Republicans look in the mirror and say, wow, anybody's better than Biden, but there's something about about Trump. They just don't want to support um, Donald Trump. Let's go to the phone. Neil in Sumter listening to WDXY. Hi, Neil. Hey, good morning, guys. I called in for something else, but just to comment on, on what you're saying, I, my perception of Democrats versus Republicans is that the Democrat Party is essentially a coalition of the maligned. 
and they take the they take the little piece, bits and pieces of society that that have a grievance and they put them together and and by that very nature of it, no judgment is allowed. Or the Republicans have always been more more of a, here here are the ideas that unify us. You might have some different ones, but these are your unifying ideas. And if you stray from those, then the Republicans you know will I, I won't even say eat their own. They're like you're you're out. You know you you've gone too far off the reservation. I mean Trump kind of broke that mold a little bit. Um, you know, with some of his past behaviors, it wouldn't normally have been accepted. But I, I think basically that's the key difference is that they're, you know, Republicans, you, you have to act a certain way or, or we won't put up with you. Democrats don't care. Um, you can wear your hoodie on the Senate floor. We don't care because we're Democrats. But, um, <laughs> what I want to call about is I was on a road trip, a work trip out to Phoenix last week. I got my rental car, got it a little bit late. And they just said, you know, go to you know, Section 3 and pick up whatever car you want. I got out there, and I'm not kidding. It was a dilemma. There were a bunch of these little Chevy EVs, and I'm sitting there looking at it. I've got no problem with an EV, but uh, I need some instructions. <laughs> like, where do I fill it up? How do I, how do I, how do I plug it in? Uh, where is it going to be charged to? How do I claim it? Um, they're you know, just simple, basic questions of, of business travel or just travel in general, and I'm like, I have no idea how to deal with this thing. So how did you deal uh, with it? I went to the Kia gas car. <laughs> Interesting. I luck, luckily, there were two. There were two regular traditional vehicles. I mean, I've had hybrids before. I, I think that's where we screwed this. We screwed this thing up so bad. Hybrids were great. Hybrids. I have a friend who drives one to work. He he hardly ever puts gas in it because he's only driving it like two miles to and from work. He never has to put gas in it. But guess what? When he wants to do a road trip, he can go, and he doesn't have to rely on you know stopping for two hours to to you know, put electricity in it. Was anybody so, at the rental car agency able to ask questions about your concerns? Nope. It was check in at the counter up top and they were very nice. And then go out to section three. I got out to section three, no attendance around keys were left in the vehicles. I would have had to, would have had to drive it over to the exit kiosk before I was going to actually see another human being. Wow. And you would think that if they're going to do this, they'd have big signs. Hey, station, uh, don't worry about the gas, you know, recharge it for free, recharges on us, do something to, to make you go, oh, that's great. You know, I'll save on the gas because gas was five bucks a gallon out there. I, I got under three gallons uh, of gas in that car over three days, and it was, uh, it was like 15 bucks to fill it up. Yeah. You know, that little Kia was getting 45 to the gallon, which is pretty good stuff for me. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah, see, we, it's, there's some there, – there's some – magic wand somewhere that we just wave and things take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. So you go to a, a rental car, a national rental car agency. They've got an offering of electric vehicles, but nobody tells you where to get power. Nobody tells you how to charge it. Nobody tells you much of anything. They just, you know, Hey, Biden said, do this. The Democrats said it's a good idea. So, you know, hop in and have a big time. I, I just, there's no way. There is no way reasonable people can believe that makes any sense. We've got to be smarter than that. If we aren't, we're in far quicker decline than I ever imagined we were or would be. Let's go to the phone. Here is Simple Man calling from Sumter, listening to WDXY. Good morning. You're on. Well, thank you for having me. Ken, I've been listening to your show for years, and I haven't heard this talked about, is taxation without representation. Ken, I pay taxes in three counties and two municipalities and of that those five areas only have representation in one area uh just wanted your thoughts on that and how how we can change that 
Thank you. Appreciate that. That's kind of an old, not an old dilemma, but it's a problem. Um, one man, one vote. What if that one man owns property in three counties and the county's governments make decisions that affect the value or prosperity of his, of his property? Um, weighted voting. There, there's a big debate about weighted voting. Um, some sh- should someone who has more skin in the game have more say so in the, the 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 process of electing who's in who's in charge? That's always an interesting um, dilemma or dynamic. Um, I tend to kind of gravitate away from the one man one vote. I tend to kind of believe if Josh has a business in Florence and he's affected by the tax policies of the city council in Florence. He should be able to vote for the mayor of Florence. But if he has a business likewise in Sumter or Orangeburg uh, that is, you know, directly affected by what elected officials in those communities decide to do, he should have an opportunity to vote or participate in those in those elections. Um, but once again, the courts and precedent says, you know, one man, one vote. I get that. I mean, I get the concept of one man, one vote. But But why should... A guy on a business in a city that is governed by city council and him have no ability whatsoever to vote and help decide who's in charge of that government, who has taxing authority or regulating authority over that over that business. We could do a radio series on that. I mean, seriously, we could we you can get in the weeds on that. You know, who should be allowed to vote when, where, and how? Let's go to the phone. Jim in the PD. Good morning. You're on the air. Hey, how y'all doing? I like uh, Ken. They ought to sell Generac generators and put them on trailers, and then they can pull them behind the EVs. Then they ain't got to have an electrical problem. Yeah, I just don't know if they generate the torque to pull a trailer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, <good point. laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, and that's you know, kind of a hybrid plan, right? Well, I mean, it's very interesting. I saw a Tesla. Uh, you probably seen this online. There, there's a Tesla being serviced. It's broken down beside the road. Now all cars break down. I'm not picking on Tesla here. But there's a guy servicing with a diesel generator. You know, as he's doing something, and he's got yeah. pneumatic tools, and the pneumatic tools require air pressure, and the, the generator's a diesel um, generator. Uh, look, I am for a better way to provide energy. I am all about, you know, can we do this better? Can we do um, that better? Right now, right now, I still believe carbon-emitting fossil fuel and we've debated whether it's really fossil fuel or not. It is because John Rockefeller said it is. Rockefeller paid a lot of money for oil to be called a fossil fuel. So, damn it, we're giving <laughs> Rockefeller his due. I mean, when a guy spends that much money, exerts that much influence, you got to recognize him as being uh, someone who moves the market. Talking about shaping and moving the market, that's back in the standard oil days. And you can go Google that. I mean, uh, what did John Rockefeller do to cause – you know, oil or carbon-based energy, or gasoline to be called uh, a fossil fuel. 843-661-0937 is our number. But, but I, I think it's easy to say, and it's not complicated to agree that economies innovate and entrepreneurs are entrepreneurial. And if there's a better way to do something, the market will normally figure out the better way to do something um, I don't know many inventions that have come out of government laboratories. I mean, I really don't. I, I don't know many things that have changed or shaped my life that came from some bureaucrat in a, in a, in a regulated government environment. For God's sake, they wouldn't let me cook on a pellet grill, you know, on a university-owned parking lot because they categorized that as a, I guess, similar to a, you, you can cook on a gas grill, 
You can't cook on a charcoal grill, and you can't cook on a pellet grill. And I'm arguing that the pellet grill is more like the, the gas grill than it is the charcoal grill. you got a hopper, but that's, that's bureaucracies. That's government. If government can say no, they will, right? I mean, can't we accept that as one of the I mean, one of the fundamental is that, is that the differences? Default answer? Sure. I mean, it's no. No, we can't do that. Why? Because it's hard. It's complicated, and we don't want to get into hard, complicated matters. What does the private sector do? They embrace challenge. Uh, th- there's another mountain to climb. There's another giant to fight. There's got to be a better way to do this. And bureaucrats and government agencies largely say, well, there may be, but it would be hard, and it would be complicated, and, you know, if I can get my 24 years, 7 months, and 12 days without getting, you know, hard, complicated problems put before me, I'd probably rather um, live that existence than the other. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays um, to make Fridays. We'll come back in just a few moments with a little Pepsi of Florence trivia question. Back in a few. Talked a lot about polls and presidential politics and 46.1% and 46.8%. Who knows what the future holds? God does and I don't. Um, But if the election were today, I'm confident in in saying that I think Donald Trump would be elected president, not with the majority of the public, but rather uh, in the electoral, via the electoral college. I think he'd win uh, Pennsylvania. I think he'd win Georgia. I think he'd win Arizona, Nevada. Still not sure about Wisconsin or um, or Michigan. Uh, we'll see how that auto worker strike plays itself out. Here's the question. Thanks to Pepsi of Florence for sponsoring. This takes Mondays to make Fridays trivia. And here's our trivia question. One time in the 21st century has a Republican won the popular vote. One time in the 21st century has a Republican won the popular vote, what year and what Republican won the popular vote in the 21st century? Do we have a Hmm. caller? Interesting. Uh, Hi, you're on the air. You know the answer? Nope. 843-661-0937. And that's the question. Is there an answer? Hi, you're on. You know the answer? 1960. Nope. In the 20th century, 21st century, I'm sorry, 21st century, One Republican has won the popular vote. 21st century. Hi, you're on. You know the answer? Uh, Ronald Reagan? Nope. 21st century. 21st century. Hi, you're on the air. You know the answer? Uh, Bush, uh, 2004. Yep, George W. Bush, 2004, had 50.7%. Didn't win the popular vote against Gore in uh, in 2000, but won it in 04. Um, congratulations, David. I don't have to ask this, who this is. So I know but, who it is. Hey, Ken, I hate to say this, but, man, I, these people don't know that. I mean, good Lord. Well, uh, apparently not. Apparently you did they and some others it. did not. They don't keep up like you and I do, David. They don't, uh, they're not obsessed with those Sunday morning shows. They're Seinfeld watchers, and, I guess. Yeah, Got to wake them Seinfeld I, watchers I, up. Hey, one day I'll defend Seinfeld for you. Right, there you go. I'll get you back to Josh. You'll get you information. Uh, yeah, George W. Bush. Uh, one in 2000 with 47.9% hanging jads. And then one again in 2004 against John Kerry with 50.7% of the vote. Um, I mean, to me, the number is 48% for a Republican. I mean, there's kind of a correlation, national polling and the Electoral College. And if Trump gets to 48%, I mean, he can win 
with less than that. But if he gets to 48% in the national polling, he's going to be hard to beat. Now, now you know, we, we got indictments and trials and convictions um, coming. So who knows how the next year plays itself out. But, but I stand by, you know, what I said earlier. If the election were today, Donald Trump would be uh, president of the United States. But guess what? It's not today. It's more than a year from now. And there's a lot of um a lot of things that could happen in the in the interim. And your caveat there on the question was twenty first century. Pay attention to what you said there. Century. Uh correct. Two thousand four, George W. Bush. Thanks to Pepsi of Florence. Uh they sponsor this fun we have every Monday and Friday. And when you look at some of these uh, mug shots, uh you see Bush and Gore look healthy and vibrant and young and um not so gray. Uh, after you run for president, you don't look so healthy and you don't look so young and you have a lot more gray hair uh, than you previously did. We'll, we'll delve into some other things tomorrow, kind of a Monday's edition rambles about. Gore's put on a lot of weight since yeah, that well, picture I mean, was taken. He's, he's gotten fat, happy, and rich in the name <laughs> of um, renewable energy and climate change and extremism and all these other sorts of things. Um, but, yeah, tomorrow we'll get more specific on some of these, um, I don't know, some of the routinish nature of politics. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.